Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash G-O-M. There's tons of titles to choose from. Check it out. If your precious Randy commanded you to kill your own father and stand by while thousands of men, women, and children burned alive, would you have done it? Your oath then. First, I killed the pyromancer, and then, when the king turned to flee, I drove my sword into his back. Burn them all, he kept saying. Burn them all. I don't think he expected to die. He, he meant to burn with the rest of us and. Rise again. Reborn as a dragon, turn his enemies to ash. He slit his throat to make sure that didn't happen. Well met, swine herds and salt wives, and welcome to our podcast. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, Conqueror of Perplexus. And I am Lady Kristen of House McWuckleburgino, the sleepy unicorn of madness. <laughs> and this is Game of Microphones, episode 67. On this episode of our series, Rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones Season 3, Episode 5, Kissed by Fire. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and in case, for, uh, in case you're not already aware, this is a spoiler-filled podcast, so we're talking about these episodes from the perspective of someone who's current on the show at this point, which is during the gap between Season 7 and Season 8. So uh, beware if you're not current. You still have time to uh, get cut in half by the hound so you don't have to listen. This is your warning. Imp slap. Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. All right. Cool. Yeah. So what did you think about this episode? I liked it. It, um... Yeah, I mean, coming off of last week's episode, you know, anything after that is just kind of like <laughs> <little> whatever. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I It was funny because when I was done with all my notes, I'm like, holy crap, did they cover a lot? Yeah. Um, you're telling me. I mean, they just went from place to place to place to place. And, and like, there's so many little nuggets all throughout mm-hmm. that, Lots you know, of nuggets. I had to watch twice. Oh, nice. In the last 24 hours. And I still don't feel like I got all of it. So I'm sure we'll get it by the end of it. <laughs> yeah yeah i have i have like mainly i i have like you know more themes and just a couple of moments and my all-time favorite game of thrones scene is in this episode oh yeah what scene is that well it was the episode i was wrong about last oh, week Duncan. nice yeah this is that is like right up there with me too but we probably have totally different reasons for liking it you probably just liked seeing uh nikolai coster waldo's uh nutsack but uh, 
You know what? I looked really hard and you can't see it. You can see his nutsack. You, no at least way. you can see the silhouette of it. You can't I see his dick. I think it was all taped up. I, it, we saw Oliver's junk. That's for sure. Lots yeah. of well, Oliver you, you junk. Could, you could see his sack, but you couldn't see his his uh, his pillar. I'm gonna <laughs> sure. get I'm gonna get so many emails now of of still shots of this. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's Haney. Jeez, these guys are good. These these listeners with their <laughs> their uh, technology to make these pictures and you know improve these pictures. Look, you could see a Jamie's sack. No, no, no. I, you know what? I, it, it, and, and I'll talk about that a little bit more. But um, what did you say? Oh, so it dawned on me while I was watching the episode, though, uh, last night, that, of course, of course, this scene was not in King's Landing because there's no way Jamie Lannister is in like still in rough shape. <laughs> a public, well, in a public bathroom. Yeah, yeah, you know, that, at King's Landing, or just being in like such rough shape. You know, by the time he's back to King's Landing, he's already like, you know, he's got the haircut. He's mostly healed. Um, yeah. He's still so, emotionally all screwed up, but I mean, he's I just, real messed up here. <laughs> this I think is my memory point. just puts Kyburn in King's Landing. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, he's been there for like, you know, forever. He plus, went from Hall to King's Landing. Yeah, plus, I mean, there's just so much stuff happens. It's impossible to keep everything straight. You know? Yes, but I am wrong. You were right. <laughs> Not it like will it never be said again. <laughs> <laughs> nah, 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 boo, boo. Um... So what's your number five? Well, I guess we could just go right into that scene. All right. I got, that's one of mine too. So I'll piggyback on, or maybe we'll just, I'll add onto yours and then I'll pick something else for another one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's enough to talk about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So, um, so this, okay. First of all, this scene is just so beautifully done. It, it just, every single time it's about to happen, I just get really excited, you know, you see that Jamie has been, um, he's been working with Kyburn. He's been, <laughs> uh, he's what? Working out, I said. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's been with Kyburn. He's refused milk of the poppy. He's gone through a really excruciatingly pain. How about painful. that? Why do you think he turned down the milk of the poppy? Because he didn't Just trust no he maester. Trust he was a right. non-maester guy who already told him, I might have to cut off your arm. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I I think it was very smart for Jamie to say, no, you know what? I'll stay awake He's for this like, one. Are bro. you even a maester? He's like, well, the Citadel took my chain, but <laughs> we don't need to worry about that. <laughs> I know. If you just sit there, you're like, oh, yeah, I don't think this, I don't think we should have saved this guy. <laughs> He's got that great line, right? Um, they found some of my experiments too <laughs> bold. <laughs> you know? Oh, gosh. Yeah. And, and like flash so forward creepy. in my brain to him resurrecting the mountain. Yeah. Yeah, or just picking up that like wa- that white walker, what white hand when uh, when they bring it when the you know when it almost attacks Cersei, oh, and then kill yeah. it. And he's just looking at the hand like, oh my god. Well, the rumor is that he <laughs> dabbled in necromancy at the Citadel. Um, he both was cutting open living bodies to figure out how they work, which he admits to somebody at some point, and then he also was dabbling in necromancy, which is. Basically, the the magic that the White Walkers use to resurrect their whites. It's a necromancy magic. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty cool. Ah, pretty what if Kyburn is the Night King? <laughs> 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 he could, well, he could be like the one thing that could uh, 
you know, understand their magic enough to influence it or something. You know, maybe, he, <laughs> yeah, maybe he's he got like some Jedi a... Darth Sith Lord power. <laughs> Outrageous <laughs> theories by Duncan and Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's just, it, you know, he comes into this bath, he, he comes into this bath area and, uh, you know, he's, he's got a fever, no doubt. He's got an infection. He's exhausted from being, you know, pent up basically for easily over a year. He's malnutritioned. Um, he's delirious from pain and, you know, lack of sleep and lack of, honor and lack of respect and just lack of basic human dignity for so long. Yeah. And it's so rough. He looks so rough. Oh he, my God. It, he, it looks like a one bath isn't going to do it. Yeah. Like when he's talking to Bruce Bolton outside and Bruce Bolton's toying with him, he's testing him just like to try to get a rise out of him to see if the rumors about his sister are true. You know, so he's like, you haven't heard, you know, Stannis sacked the city and, and your sister, how do I put this? So and gross. he's like leaving him hanging there and like as if the torment of losing his hand and being treated like drinking horse piss and everything wasn't bad enough. Now he's like thrust with the realization and the the like the the suggestion that his sister has been brutally killed and raped, you know, and so it's torturing him. And <laughs> when finally Bolton says, oh, it's you know, she's fine. You know, he drops to his knees <laughs> and it, it just hurt me watching him like go through that torment and suspense. Um, it's like every bit of strength he had was just keeping himself together to, to find out what happened there. <laughs> right. It was intense. Yeah, that no, that whole thing wasn't that. that yeah, it was um, last night when we were watching my, my, uh, husband goes, don't you think it's interesting that Bruce Bolton has like all of these, you know, polite niceties that, you know, the find him a place to stay and unlock him. And I'm sorry, my lady and blah, 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 but I'm going to fuck your mind up right now. <laughs> he just like goes right into psychological yeah, warfare on so Jamie. Funny. It was such an interesting scene, yeah. you know, for Bruce Bolton. Like he played this Jekyll and Hyde in within like 60 seconds of each other from um from what i'm my perspective it's not only is it psychological like manipulation and messing with him there but like i said he's also trying to learn the truth of the situation by prodding at him about his sister so it's like a dual faceted um you know operation he's he's fucking with him because he doesn't like him probably um and then he's also trying to like learn the truth um because information is power so poor, that's like that's so funny of Dave. Like, poor Jamie. He's like, you know, nobody likes me. Everybody hates yeah. me. Guess I'll go eat worms. <laughs> yeah, um, basically. So anyway, so especially next to Brienne, like he comes in and there's Brienne and she looks like she's been there for a while. You know, I mean, Just she's clean. In the tub. She's got like a new a new layer of skin on her. I mean, she's she looking looks silky smooth. Gorgeous, right? Dolphin and here smooth. comes dirty Jamie at Dolphin Smooth. <laughs> yeah. And uh and she's just looks at him, she's like, uh, excuse me, don't get into my tub. Thank you very much. Right. You know? There's another tub. <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting because I think I think he does this because he trusts her and that he it's like he needed to be comforted somehow and I mean, of course he wanted to unnerve her because he likes to do that. And she's so easy to, and he can't to unnerve. But yeah, he is but genuinely I, trying to like apologize and make a connection. And I, th- I like when he says, when he uh, first gets in the tub there, he says that he, um, 
he's he doesn't want to be the I don't intend to be the first Lannister to die in a bathtub, which sort right. of foreshadows Tywin dying on the toilet. Um, but uh, makes me happy. Yeah, it, it's I think he's legitimately worried for his life too. He's like I got to be in a tub with someone who I know won't let me drown. Right, exactly. He's like you've you've uh, you've made a promise. You have to keep me alive. So I'm going to sit here with my stump, and I'm going to try and get clean. Yeah. Um, we see another one of those beautiful Brienne uh, 180s in this scene as well, where she has one attitude and then like something that that Jamie says triggers a realization in her that create, totally changes her perspective and attitude towards Jamie. Well, the way that the story unfolds is wonderful. It's just so well done by, you know, the writers and by the way the scene is set and by Gwendolyn Christie and just her nonverbal um, kind of reactions to to this beautiful, quiet performance that Jamie is putting on. Right. Yeah. And, and even like before he starts getting into the meat of it, just her reactions to uh, like her his taunting at first to like really like shows she's you where she's very closed she is. off. Right. Like yeah, she, she had her she had her uh, knees around her chest and then she just all of a sudden she just lets that all go. Boom, as, as soon as he starts talk. questioning her honor and. Renly, like she doesn't mm-hmm. care about modesty. She doesn't care Ooh, about any of that anymore. She stood right up, didn't she? <laughs> yeah, and I think that that showed him, like that, since she had been so guarded and so protected, that she cared that much. Like she was that offended by what he was saying that she was willing to like give him the full show, <laughs> like mm-hmm. without even thinking about it. He was like, "Well, I like really fucked up here. Like, yeah. I'm, I, I'm sorry. Like, I mean, I mean it. You know, I'm, I'm apologizing. I'm sick of fighting." He says, "Let's call it yeah. truce." <laughs> So I just thought that was really powerful. Like it said a lot without saying anything when she stood up in that moment and it was like, you know, like this, I'm fucking serious. Like this, like I, I, I you thought I was serious about like covering myself, but that's nothing compared to this, you know? Like, right. Exactly. Don't question her honor. Don't yeah. question, you know, her loyalty, um, you know, to those that she believes in. And, and even though she did love Renly and, and she still, you know, protects, protects him even post, uh, posthumously post, Post, how do you say that word? Posthumously. Posthumously. That just sounds wrong, but I think you're right. (laughs) I think you're right. It just doesn't sound right. I don't like it. That's (laughs) weird. Because it's a T and H right in a row. You'd think it would be th, but it's like posthumously. Posthumously. Yeah, I don't like that word, but okay. Um, (laughs) So where was I? Oh, so um, but you can tell that she means what she says. She says what she means. She carries it with her. You know, she's she's a hundred percent or or zero percent. Like there's no in between for this girl, you mm-hmm. know, which I love. Love that about yep. her. Yeah, it's yeah, it's awesome. Um, so Jamie starts to confess for the ver- I, I think this is the first time that he's told anybody this story. You could tell that there's pain as he's saying it. It's all over his face and he's just it's like he's trying to make sense of the memory and he's trying to to tell it with the honor that he still has deep inside because yeah. he's been wearing his lack of honor as kind of a shield for the past 17 years. And I think that he's so impressed with Brienne, like just like with the, how she handles herself and the way that she takes her honor so seriously. But I think it's like a desperate moment where finally, like she gives him this look, you know, after like, you know, like they've they're na- sitting there naked, and she gives mm-hmm. him this look, and he's like, "There's the look, I've seen it all these seventeen years." And it's just like a moment of desperation where he's trying to impart to her that, like, 
You know, I'm a good too. You know? Well, he doesn't want that look from her. I agree yeah. with you. He's like, no, 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 that's too far. Like everybody else can do that, but he considers her an equal and he trusts yeah, her. Yeah, I think and at this point, her. like you can't let it slide. It's <laughs> it's crazy. It's so cool. And and he just sit, sets it. He's like, have you ever heard of wildfire? You know? Yeah. And, you know, oh, the Mad King was obsessed with it. And, and then you get this little breadcrumb trail from, you know, back with uh, Blackwater with, um, with how he said the pyromancer uh, was told to stash it all over the city. Yeah, right? he had his pyromancer place caches of wildfire all over the city. Put it by the, yeah, put it by, you know, the the shops and the houses and, and, um, you know, and you can tell, right. So it's all over the city, which is why we know there was so much wildfire, even besides what Cersei was having made and Tyrion was having made, there was already this huge cache of it anyways. So, so considering, considering he mentioned the Sept of Baylor, as he says, uh, so he had his pyromancer place caches of wildfire all over the city, beneath the Sept of Baylor and the slums of Flea Bottom, under houses, stables, taverns, even beneath the Red Keep itself. Does that, we, we saw what happened to the the Sept of Baylor at the, Mm -hmm. the, you know, places that he's listed specifically, I think we need to keep an eye on. So I'm I'm worried about the Red Keep now. Oh, because where's the rest of it? That's yeah. a really great point. Beneath the great red point. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I can't wait to see that place erupt. <laughs> oh um, man, Cersei <laughs> I totally could like can't maybe wait. Cersei like knows about it since she found out she had people researching it. She found out about the other um, you know stuff at the Sept of Baylor, and she set a trap luring people in there and exploding it. She could really? she could you know well she if she if she knows about that she would know about the the secret network of tunnels beneath the this the Red Keep as well. She could house up inside the Red Keep in a siege and make them think that they're. They're breaking down the, the the walls to get her and lure them in, but secretly she's left through the tunnels and she could explode the red keep, kill everybody else. Yeah, but do you think that she's one to do that kind of research? Or I mean, because well, I well, we know I, she did already because she had um, she had Kyburn investigating the rumors of this the caches of wildfire. So maybe maybe Jamie did mention it to her because that's in season seven. She says any information about you know any word on that thing I had you looking into and he says yes we, we did find out something and that's when we learn about the the wildfire under the Sept of Baylor <clears throat> so she has been having people look into this I bet there's been people looking all around the Red Keep trying to figure out the tunnels and stuff in the process hmm that would be that's interesting I yeah I don't know <laughs> I know it's yeah um that's interesting. Uh, so, so anyway, so he starts to talk about the day of reckoning, right? He said, you know, he, the, uh, varies is brought up. He didn't, that Aries did not listen to varies, uh, <laughs> with, with, in regards to Tywin and his army, Jamie, he didn't listen to Jamie and Jamie was like, I knew my father, he was not going to stay on a losing side. Yeah, you know, Varys, yeah. Varys was probably like, listen, man, this is a terrible idea. You don't want to be doing this. But who was it? Which snake in the garden was it that said, no, no, you can trust the Lannisters. He did listen to Grand Master Pycelle, that he gray, sunken He listened to that cunt. asshole Pycelle. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I mean, even 
and, and it totally makes sense because Picel has been Cersei's always um, uh, rumor person, and you know you, we we've saw that it was uh, extra scene. <laughs> well, we saw that extra scene between Picel and Tywin. Yeah, I can't believe they didn't include that. It says so much. What a brilliant That's scene the that was for his for for his you know hunchbackness. Right, they so gets to stand up. He's like, oh, it feels so good. Um, you know, and so Picel is probably just as responsible for the sacking of King's Landing as Tywin and, and his army is, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, and then what happens is that he sacks the city. And then, um, so Ares, and so Jamie's just unveiling, you know, Ares has told him to go out and bring him his father's head. Right. And to blow up the entire city, kill all the children, kill all the women. And you can see Brienne is just more and more horrified. She's just in awe. Like, oh, my God, nobody has ever heard this before. This is the first anybody's ever hearing this. And it's it's like she knows this. she knows that this is this is like not only that, but she knows that she is the first one to hear this story. Otherwise, because everybody else is dead. Yeah. That knows this story, right? He yeah. killed the pyromancer and then he killed Ares in the back. And and he's just devastated over this memory. And I he, he knows it was the right thing that he did, but it's just it it killed his reputation. It killed him. Ugh. It killed him being a man. You yeah. know, he was from then on the Kingslayer. And what and what was it really going to be? Do you want to be the Kingslayer? Or do you want to be the Kinslayer? Because that those were his two choices. Kill your father and the rest of the city or kill the king and the pyromancer. King, king <laughs> He's two, like, which one's a more people. evil bastard? My father's just horrible. Treats me like garbage. Makes He married my sister off to a drunken... Oh, bastard of a king you know right he's murdered entire f- houses um uh, this is like a, a, just a monster <laughs> you know like where do I you forget <laughs> which philosopher it is but the philosopher there's a philosopher out there is it emmanuel kant it could be emmanuel kant who says uh something to the effect of you know would you uh would you kill one person for the sake of a thousand? It's like the ultimate moral dilemma would you kill a child if it meant huh. that you saved thousands Right. Remember you the, have um, to do it. Remember when this question is posed on this TV show to to Sir Davos of, of C, House Seaworth? Stannis says, what's the life of one bastard compared to the seven kingdoms? Mm-hmm. And Davos says, everything. Yes. So yeah, it's, it's the, uh, you know, the question, moral relativity and the ends justifying the means. Right. The whole Machiavellian concept of uh, yeah, being and you're ruthless right. to accomplish your goals. Circles back. Over yeah. the seasons. I, yeah, you're right about that. That That's a great point. That's a great point. So, um, so yeah. So, at, at this point, I think when we get to the very end of this scene and, and Jamie passes out and Brienne catches him and says, you know, oh, the Kingslayer. He goes, my name is Jamie. Like, he he's looking moment. at her. Well, he's not looking at her because he's passed out. But Brienne is the only one at this point that truly knows Jamie, um, who he is, what he's about, uh, you know, what his story is. He wants her friendship. He wants her trust. He's just like, he, please. He, <laughs> just He wants her, he, he wants her to view him as 
Jamie Lannister, a, not the Kingslayer, not the Oathbreaker as a human. Yeah. And I think that this scene is where we all humanize Jamie Lannister and we all collectively go, oh, all right. I get it now. We love this guy. Yeah. Like, just, what he's just understanding what he's been through just hits you. And uh, I love how this scene ends with the position that the two of them are in. He is, you know, about to pass out mm-hmm. and he like lurches forward towards her and she grabs him and she's like cradling him um, for the second time. We've seen this pose once already, which is the first time she grabbed him and was had him draped across her like in anger and it was like she was about to pummel him and it looked like they were about to kiss it was while they were on the on the oh, road yeah. a few weeks ago and this time they're in the same position but instead of being driven by rage and fury and like wanting to beat him to a pulp it's being driven by love and trying to protect Respect. him and save him so it's interesting to see that this this pose occur twice mirroring each other completely opposite um, like with what the motivation is for being in that position with each other. Um, so it's just, it's just like very brilliantly artistically rendered. Um, these, these different things that we see repeatedly and they, you know, they change like her, this, like the way that they, that these two poses are illustrates that 180 degree shift that Brienne is undertaking in all these different ways. It's almost like she represents the viewer. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, Definitely. You know, absolutely, hundred percent. So that's my number five. If you want to add on to anything, he, he, sure. Uh, so many, so many good things. Like but this is where we get the "burn them all" quote for yes. the first time. You know, burn uh, them all. He told me to bring him my father's head. Then he turned to his pyromancer. Burn them all, he said. Burn them in their homes, burn them in their beds. <laughs> That's so fucked up. Burn them all, he kept saying. Burn them yeah. all. And then um, it's just like another like hor- horrifically sad moment when when she's he's telling Bran about about this and he t- says, you know, I killed the king. He he kept saying, burn them all. I don't think he expected to die. He meant to burn with the rest of us and rise again, reborn as a dragon to turn his enemies to ash. He says, I slit his throat to make sure that didn't happen. That's where Ned Stark found me. And so, so she says, if this is true, why didn't you tell anyone? It's like, why didn't I tell him? Stark? You'd think the honorable Ned Stark would have wanted to hear my side? He judged me guilty from the moment he set his eyes on me. And this is the, the line that I really like. He, like, really starts to, like, like this is the moment where, Delirium like, it just becomes through. too much for him. Yeah. And he's, yep. by what rights does the wolf judge the lion? But what right? You know, and like, just like, God damn, like, it's like on a, like another level that thought is, you know she, what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, uh, and, oh, it's, it's not it only like the sigils, him, but the, he's talking on like a metaphysical, biological, spiritual level. Like what right does this, you know, one creature have to judge this other creature? They're both just trying to survive, you know, like mm-hmm. um, it's really like a powerful line. Yeah, I you know what and and I like what you said about about the fact that it it all becomes too much for him because I think that that confession that was fueled by the infection, the delirium and and the need for companionship and friendship. You know, when you tell a story that as is, that is as traumatic as that one, you know, it it can take 
all of your energy and it can just it, and it can you reignite know, emotions it, that have been right exactly forever. i mean you know you think about ptsd right i mean you think about something that maybe you've kept to yourself or maybe something that you've always um or that you've confessed to somebody i mean even something small in your own life right and at the end of it, it could be exhausting when you're finally done with it and you're like, oh my gosh, I just can't even believe that I had that conversation, you know? Yeah. So it, I can see how he passed out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Classic. It's yeah. That, that's what I read. Like the moment that he got to that Ned Stark part, it was just too much for him to handle anymore. And he just like started like, like convulsing almost. <laughs> what do you think? Do you think that Jamie's right? Do you think that Ned wouldn't have given him the benefit of the doubt in that instance? I think that he's right that either way, Ned would have seen him as an oath breaker. You know, even given even given the, the circumstances. Situation? Yeah, I think that um, it's 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 hard to say. Ned is, is a pretty black and white dude, you know, Uh Except for the whole John thing. Um, I've heard a lot of people talk about it and a lot of people have have sort of said that they they think that he's pretty right. Was Tower of Joy before or after this? Tower of Joy is after this. Um, okay. So, so he, first there's the battle okay. at the Trident. Robert is wounded. Ned mm -hmm. immediately heads to, uh, the, to King's Landing after Rhaegar is killed. And that's when um, they arrive to see the city, like, finishing being sacked, essentially. And then and Ned goes to Tower of Joy. He goes, yeah, he goes sacking. to the throne room, finds Jamie, and then heads out to Tower of Joy. Uh, yeah, from there, I believe. Okay. All right. Because if Tower of Joy had happened beforehand, it could have been that he was in a forgiving mood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think he's ever really, like... I think he's always been kind of at odds with the Lannisters. Well, who wouldn't be? They're terrible people. Yeah, basically. But then again, oh. he uh, he he said Arthur Dane was the finest knight he ever saw, and Arthur Dane knighted Sir Jamie Lannister, right? So I mean that that could have meant something to to Ned. And maybe if Ned knew the truth, he would have seen the honor in it i mean in jamie's decision i mean ned had to ned had to take the you know outwardly dishonorly path himself as well when he claimed to have uh betrayed the trust of catelyn and you know outwardly it seemed that he was a not a kinslayer but a oathbreaker himself you know so he's been placed in in these types of, of positions himself granted this moment was just weeks before he would have had to make this difficult decision himself. So it's kind of amazing, actually, that these two characters are both thrust into this position of having to sacrifice their honor for a greater purpose just it's within so weeks of each other. Uh, and it drastically changes like the, both of their lives. And yeah. And in, in the process, just they're set at odds this, against, the, against Just other. you saying this is bringing like little teeny tears to my eyes. It, that's, it's, <laughs> that's a pretty amazing revelation. It's it, a parallel. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. 
Um, so I mean, like, like you said, maybe after he went through that, if the tower, of jo- if he had just come back from the Tower of Joy, he may have been more susceptible to uh, understanding that type of, you know, honor trauma of choosing which path in a more morally difficult situation, which is that's what Jamie does now, right? That's what he tried mm. to br- make Brienne do by uh, pushing her out to decide between fording, you know, crossing the river or taking the. Uh, the bridge he's he's created this situation where he's like trying to make people understand him by creating situations for them where they have to make difficult decisions the same thing with cat stark when he convinced her to well she he didn't really have to convince her but letting him go sacrificing her her honor um you know in terms of her her loyalty to her son essentially and the king in the north um when it came to what she saw as a greater purpose for her Sisters, so it's like there's like a ripple effect with Jamie Lannister. He had to kill the king, and then immediately, like he, people around him start being forced into these horrible positions as well, where they have to make these crazy decisions that have big ramifications. <laughs> it's nuts. Wow! <laughs> right? I just like totally like blew my mind right, my own mind right there. I just blew my own mind. <laughs> that was crazy. Um, so that's uh, pretty wild, right? Damn. Yeah. The, the Jamie ripple effect. That's nuts. It, it, hit, it hit Ned. It hit Cat. Uh, basically, see, that's why like, this is the, my favorite scene, and it because we just it it's, it 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 just explains so much. You I know. know? It's I, not only is it like very relevant for the plot and like a huge revelation that means a lot for like character development and etc but it's also like so well staged and just the location is beautiful and the performances are like did there had to have been awards won for this scene right uh i don't think so <sighs> what oh wait not wait you mean for their perf- you mean nikolai Waldo? yeah did I even say that right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I I refrain from saying that name at all costs because it's so many letters smashed together <laughs> that I just look at it and I'm like, that's just too many letters in the wrong order. <laughs> I know, right? It's a yeah, it's a it's a difficult one. This episode won the 2013 Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Makeup for a Single Camera Series Non Prosthetic. Oh, for Jamie's uh, stump or. Probably and how and and dirt. Oh yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. The makeup was really good. Like he looked dirty as fuck. Yeah, he looked like I didn't want to touch him or anything. Like <laughs> that's why uh, I if I were to touch him, recoiled. I would get tetanus, hepatitis C. <laughs> Who knows what from that exposed wound? That's Probably why Brandon recoiled. Probably some sort of tick bite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh god. Three different levels of lime. It would, I mean, it would oh, be a problem. Lime so. is fucked. You ever, you know much about Lyme disease? I do. I've, I know three people with it. Oh yeah. I've had it before. Um, I'm actually from old Lyme, Connecticut, which is where it was discovered. I do know that about you. Um, interestingly. I forgot, I forgot that about you, but I did know that about you. <laughs> Here's a little tidbit about it. Uh, after World War II, the U.S. and Russia were both trying to scoop up Nazi scientists for our own purposes. And uh, it was called Project Paperclip in the U.S. 
And under this project, stupid name. (laughs) Yeah, under this project, we got lots of Nazi scientists, including Werner von Braun, who uh, was in charge of the the German rocket program, and he basically spearheaded our our rocket program and is responsible for the Apollo program and stuff. Um, But we got this guy named Eric Traub, who was working for the Reich um, on a project which involved transmitting diseases via ticks. And he got stationed on this animal research facility on an island right off of Old Lyme, Connecticut, called Plum Island. Um, all of a sudden, a few years later, after this guy is working there, uh, Lyme disease, this new disease which has never been seen before, which is transmitted by ticks, pops up in Connecticut in Lyme, and hence, hence where it, you know where it got its name. And uh, so basically, I think it's a Nazi biological warfare program that was either accidentally or intentionally released uh, on our population after World War II. I love your conspiracy theories. <laughs> I feel like I should wear a tinfoil hat around you. <laughs> Probably should. Um, anyways, do you want to um, do you want to keep that as number five and just you want to move on to your number four? Yeah, sure. So my number four is the Hound's Trial by Combat. And see, I knew that that was going to be one of yours, which is why I didn't add it and to mine. And I knew <laughs> as well that you would know that it would be one of mine. So I purposely included it in mine. We are like <laughs> super in sync about this. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this is a fucking awesome scene. And coming off of last week's epic episode, it's a good. it was a good way to start this episode. Um, high yeah, energy. Right off the bat, right? Yeah, real right off the bat. Nice high energy battle, which was Fucking awesome. Lord, cast your light upon us. <laughs> Lord of light, defend us. Doris. Show us the truth. <laughs> Strike this man down if he is guilty. So fucking cool. For the night is dark and full of terrors. For the night is dark and full of terrors. Yes. Um, and so they cut a big slice in Beric's hand and he rubs it on his sword blade and the blade lights up in flames like we saw in the, in Beyond the Wall for the second time. And uh, the hound is shocked because, I mean, just the no, whole... No, this is the second time that we saw it because remember, oh, Stannis's sword lit on fire last season. Right. I th- It, it might have been a different type of magic, though. Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember. Lord of Light. Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah, definitely the same uh, purveyor. Um, so uh, the Hound is like, oh my god, because like just the combination of the Hound being involved with with R'hllor is like just like the it's like the, <laughs> the least likely combination of anything you could possibly picture. <laughs> you're Game like, you're really? Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, like you know that the one thing that Hound hates more than anything else is fire. So like the last guy that you would ever picture him being willingly associated with is the fire god but that just makes it so perfect for for it to happen you know like of course they're gonna be like thrust together somehow we should have known that immediately just you know by by Mm -hmm. the hound's facial scar by his whole thing like uh, obviously um he's gonna have some important connection with the fire yeah what what was horrifying (laughs) No, just like it's it's a horrifying, like worst fear realized moment. Absolutely. For Sandor, right. Absolutely. I mean, um, it's oh, what is your worst fear? OK, so if we gave you your favorite thing and we covered it in it, how do you feel about that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, it's like taking something awesome, like uh, 
like, um, I don't know, some type of fruit and covering it in chocolate and ruining it, ruining both of those beautiful things. <laughs> Except strawberries, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a bad example, but there, <laughs> there, 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 <laughs> there are some things that are like awesome by themselves. And then when you mix them together, they're like, oh, God, this sucks. You know, why would you like it just ruins it? Peanut like, butter uh, and avocado. <laughs> or like Joffrey would say, like, battle plans and stupid girls. As uh, as we saw Rob discussing battle plans with stupid girls in this episode, which is funny. <laughs> Contrary to the Joffrey mantra. Um, <laughs> so uh, the hound freaks out and uh, he he's he's um, just like the, the battle rages and they are looking like they're intensely fighting. They're throwing their blows real hard. Like Beric is yeah. swinging hard. He comes out striking real fast immediately with like a beautiful lunge that like he launches himself towards the hound and he is swinging hard and the hound is parrying everything and at one point <laughs> I feel like they were like oh with the flaming sword we're gonna have to choreograph this fight a little bit differently to just to highlight the movement of the the blade and I feel like this is something that they do with the style of of um, sword fighting that they use for lightsaber battles in Star Wars movies. Oh yeah, right. So I, I, I was seeing a, a little bit of paralleling of um, Barrack One Kenobi, basically, like, <laughs> <laughs> from like like Episode Three and Mustafar in, when when Obi Wan is fighting um, Anakin Skywalker and ends up disfiguring him and basically solidifying the agony of Darth Vader. Uh, this sort of made me think of that the flames, the theatrical twirling of the blade it was very like lightsaber battle esque to me. Um, and Beric just kind of looks like Obi Wan too, <laughs> but, but uh, with an eye patch, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obi Wan eye. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's fucking good battle. It's it was really well choreographed. The the, the hound is fighting back and just pummeling him and it look it, watching the hound fight is like watching George Foreman hit a heavy bag just leaving big dents in it like once you once you see Foreman doing that this is what Muhammad Ali said once you like fighters don't want to watch George Foreman training because once you see George Foreman hitting the heavy bag nobody wants to fight him so Ali would never watch him train when they were in in uh, Zaire for the the rumble in the jungle in 74 uh, good documentary about that. When we were kings, if you're interested, really good documentary. Um, so he's pummeling him and breaking Beric's shield, and eventually his own shield catches fire. And the the look of panic and desperation on the hound's face is as his shield just goes ablaze cannot be understated. Right? Like he's just like when he staggers back into fire. Yeah, right. Like his shield is on fire. There's a flaming sword going towards him, and he staggers back into fire. And it goes like, and like there's bursts just, there's of like of, of uh, fire on fire like, on fire. Him. <laughs> and he looks pissed when he steps out of that fire, and uh, like he's just engulfed in that that spark cloud, and then he just mm -hmm. like huffs out and swings his blade down, and like. Just starts pummeling on Beric and cuts right through his sword and right through his his armor and just like it, it was like uh, that scene in Friday the Thirteenth I think the original Friday the Thirteenth when the, the the guy and the girl go into the uh, into the 
tent. Oh, maybe it's a different one, but they're they're about to do it, and the girl like pulls off her top, and all of a sudden, like a street sign comes flying through the fucking tent, cuts her in half. <laughs> like oh you can see gosh. her like like split in two, and it was the same thing with Beric Dondarrion here, splitting in two vertically as uh, the Hound's blade just bisects his torso. Um, pretty pretty radical uh you like you see that and you're like oh he's dead <laughs> oh yeah he's dead that wow uh yeah wow clegane pulling through in the you know in the last moment foreshadowing the the the, the mountain doing the same thing flipping it on on the viper sort of i mean it wasn't that extreme obviously but so uh he just cuts him right in two and Arya's like no he just freaks out and immediately Thoros is just on him with the the prayers you know and oh when when his shield caught on fire everybody was like guilty 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 chanting and it was fucking Arya's like kill him yeah kill him and so the barrack goes down and Thoros just like a like a like a baseball player running the bases, just slides in <laughs> and starts whispering in his uh, into his ear, like "Lord, cast your light upon this man. You're a servant. Bring him back from death and darkness." You know, and his flame has been ex- extinguished. Restore it. And and uh, Arya pulls out a dagger. She like steals somebody's dagger and ah, like you runs see how at the hound. She was with that. Yeah, yeah, totally. That reminded me of this time when I was in Boston. And uh, I was with a friend of mine, and we were we were on the on the fifth story uh, fire escape, and <laughs> and these there's these punk kids down below with like mohawks and stuff, and my friend was like, "You think you're punk?" Like because he was drunk <laughs> and being stupid as hell, and they like yelled up at him, and he like right there ripped his shirt off and like ran inside and ran down the stairs and went out to fight these people, and of course I had to follow him. And because he's my friend, and I'm not going to let him out there, go out there alone, try to <laughs> try to defuse it if possible. But you know, so I, I end up being the one who gets like attacked, of course, every time. Great. So somebody headbutts me, and like, and I didn't phase me, and they like pulled, like they ripped off my chain. And I had to take my chain back from them. And uh, like, was it Liam Neeson? <laughs> might as well have been. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, it was a it was a huge dude with like. Big arms. Yeah. And I took him down. <laughs> he had a mohawk, a spiked mohawk. I, I, I shit you not. He it was had crazy. rings in his lip. Yeah, he was like, yeah, like all studded, <laughs> like armor all over. Um, so uh, the co- all of a sudden we see a cop car like driving down the street, and they weren't like coming for us or anything, but my friend just books it. The guy who started the fight. Get her. Yeah, and so I'm running, or like I've, you know, I like I'm standing there as he runs, and they're kind of facing off with us, and they start walking away, and they're walking away. The cop is passed. And I'm walking back at this point, and uh, they had sort of retreated. So my other friend, who was also drunk at the moment, yells off to them, It's obvious who runs this block! And I'm like, oh my god, Like, what the fuck is wrong with you people? <laughs> and sort of like Arya in this moment, the girl that was with them, who's like the littlest one of all, and she's like the girl, you know... Like nothing wrong with being a girl or anything, but like you're at a you're potentially in like a fist fight on the corner. You're not expecting like the girl to be the one to step up out of the crew of people, you know what I mean? And she like lets out a battle cry when John said that like you it's obvious who runs this block. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And she comes running, and she doesn't come running at John who just yelled that. She came running at me. Everybody's attacking me when I'm not doing anything. 
And so, oh, poor Duncan. <laughs> well, poor her, because I, I just stepped aside and like redirected her momentum past me, and uh, she just like went sprawling out under the ground. Um, and I didn't like push her or anything. I just like stepped aside, ensured that she moved, kept going, basically. You know, like sort of like a judo judo type thing. Judy chop. Yeah, judo chop. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so at that point, they all freaked out and uh, tried to get us, but we managed to get inside the building right before. Because at that point, after my friend left, it was like seven on two or something. Uh, so we we ended up getting in the building, and they were like, like pounding on the, on the glass trying to get in. It was funny as hell. But yeah, Arya freaking out and, and trying to kill him in this moment was very much like that girl freaking out on me. So I could, maybe that's why I like the hound so much. So, uh, Beric intervenes, or someone intervenes, and, and all of a sudden we learn that Beric is back, al- is alive again. And uh, it's fucking crazy. Looks like... Everybody's stunned. Yeah, yeah. It, it, Sandor's kind of laughing um, as Arya is, like, picked up by somebody, literally, like, just Gendry. scooped up. Gendry. It was Gendry. And, Pretty uh, sure. Looks like their god likes me more than your butcher's boy. Right? Ugh, gosh, shut and, up, <laughs> yeah. Sandor. And that's, Sandor, read the room. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and that's when uh, when Beric, is, it's revealed that he's alive. Um, he, she goes, burn in hell! And he's like, he will. But not today. And that's not when we today. know Beric is alive as he's been revived. And we're like, oh, my God. Right. And how fucking cool is that? So we get another scene where it starts with the hound. And he's like, I want my gold. And um, this point, I'm feeling really bad for Sandor because, you know, you know where we got that gold from? No, um, it was at the hands tournament in like episode three when we first get to King's Landing. Wow, he's had that a long time. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, he, you know, he's on duty. He doesn't have necessarily have time to go yeah, spend his gold. Right. So he quit. Mm-hmm. He grabbed his gold from his chamber, probably or wherever he had it stashed, and uh, he's out. So this is the gold that he you, he won by winning the Hounds tournament by saving Loris's life from his brother. And it was like a big, huge moment where where Loris is being attacked, and the Hound steals the show and saves his life, and the crowd is silent, and Loris raises the Hound's hand to the sky and oh, proclaims yeah. him the champion, and the Hound that f- gets seems his, like a long time ago, right? And and the Hound gets his like a moment of public recognition and respect, um, which I think is foreshadowing some type of major major victory in the future with the Hound. I think that was a micro vision of some massive accomplishment and achievement that the Hound is going to make uh, in next year. So that'll be freaking awesome. But Mm -hmm. this is gold that he won fair and square that he deserves for being a champion of life. Um, You know, and so it's just really sad that they're taking his money here. Like, this is what he had. This is, like, all he had. You know, he Mm -hmm. finally, like, escaped this oppressive regime that is, you know, his whole life has just been brutal. And now he's got, he can take his gold and go do whatever the fuck he wants because he's loaded. That was a lot of gold, man. A lot of gold. A huge amount of gold for winning that tournament. And so this is like no good for anybody, really, because uh, think about what this results in. It means that the hound ends up killing that poor old guy, right? Uh, and and he and his daughter end up starving to death, um, which Ugh. we which we find out in season seven, and it haunts him, right? And they're together in this cabin where that happened in season seven. They stole his gold. He killed that guy, and then they're both together. 
and th- working together to bury these two people. Uh, remember? I do remember. Some, I'm sorry. I'm listening to you and remembering was right it, now. Thoros that <laughs> walks out and finds the hound burying them. And I think helps. it is Thoros. Yeah, because because um, Sandor was trying to do the protect the, you know, mother protect you and the seven, you know, the right. seven words. And Thoros is like, don't look at me. <laughs> right. I'm, yeah, it was like an awkward, like different religious beliefs. <laughs> moment. That's great. That's cool. That's cool. I it's like, like you want some rum? That's what I got. That's so funny. Um, yeah, I like I like that. That's a good description. So yeah, <laughs> it's just like a really really sad moment for Sarah, sad for the hound, sad for the that family who was just trying to survive. Um, I mean, for all we know, they could have been so like friendly to the hound and offering them food and everything at that moment that the hound could have left them a golden dragon to help them mm-hmm. survive for the winter. Get He's, them through the winter. Honestly, it seems like to me he seems like that type of guy where like mm-hmm. you know like he doesn't yeah. have to help Arya. He didn't have to help Sansa. Um, he doesn't prey on the weak. He tries yeah. to help the weak. He is the weak. Like, yes. You know, like 100%. He's, he's the strength. He's the strong of he's like the the strength of the weak. You know, he's the I underdog. hundred percent. Yeah. Like you said. So, um, yeah, it's just it's it's, you know, when, when he loses, the weak lose, as we see here, uh, sadly. So that was pretty sad. Um, I liked uh I liked the uh, the the last line there with Barak where he says, "Go in peace, Sandor Clegane. The Lord of Light isn't done with you yet." Boy, is he not cool! Huh? Cool line, yeah. Just yeah. a really cool line, especially knowing knowing what we know at this point. Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. So, just a great scene. Love the Hound. I uh, really feel his pain. Uh, I think a lot of people do, and he's just a, like a. You know, he's on his redemption arc as well. This is, you know, we had uh, Jamie's wound being cleansed with with uh, with wine uh, by by Kyburn, boiling wine, cleansing his his wound. And in this episode, we have the Lord of Light cleansing Sandor's soul with fire and cleaning his slate to start fresh, you know. Yes. So we have two types of like healing processes beginning in this episode. Which is that's, cool. Uh, that's nice. I like that. Great number four, dude. Thanks. So what about uh, what about you? What's your number four? So my number four is kind of weird. It's something that I started putting together a few hours ago. Um, and because it was basically I was watching Sansa and, you know, they remark on her hair and how she's doing it like uh, Marjorie now. Oh. And it um, it struck me as that Sansa still doesn't have an identity. And so I started looking at each of the Starks, with John included, um, in this episode, and there was a lot of identity crisis uh, type of stuff that was happening with the Stark kids. Um, you know, you've got Rob who's losing the war, who has lost half of his army at this point, but because he had to kill Car Stark, and um, he doesn't know what to do. He do- he can't go home because he knows that they will not leave. Uh, all of his bannermen are not going to leave again if he goes back. But he doesn't know who to turn to, and you know he's he's kind of about to throw a hail mary by going to the twins at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, so he's facing a little bit of an identity crisis in the fact that he doesn't want to be king. He never wanted to be king, but he he wants his revenge. He doesn't. He's 
he's losing at this point. You know, he's made some really bad decisions with, you know, not not sending his mother back to Winterfell um, after uh, after letting Jamie go, sending Theon off, trusting that he was going to do what Rob and Theon had discussed he was going to do. And that blew up in his face. And he's sort of been put in this position of uh, like uh, be, having him choose between vows and honor as well. It's, right. And then there was it. he married. Talisa, which is probably the biggest nail. And that was right after having Jamie as a prisoner, right? So Yeah, oh yeah. (laughs) So that's the ripple effect as well. (laughs) Having Jamie Yeah, and having Jamie as the prisoner happened right after, you know, Theon left. So I mean, there's just he's made one terrible decision after another because he's still very young. He's still a boy. And he doesn't have his dad anymore and he has a mom who is overwhelmed with grief and you know had the blackfish been with him a little longer maybe things would would have been a little different but that would be really cool right yeah but he's kind of i mean when he's in the room and edmure tully is making more sense than rob stark (laughs) in that scene i know there's a problem i was like oh man (laughs) well he sounds like legit speaking of um Edmure Tully, I think we should mention that new show that's coming out on AMC featuring oh, the actor. Oh, The Terror? Yeah, The Terror. It's it's got uh, I will both... not be seeing that. <laughs> it's got both uh, the actors who played Mance Raider and Edmure Tully in it. Uh, so it looks really cool and, and Edmure looks like he has some really awesome performances in it based on the trailers. So th- that guy is a great actor when he's given like Good, good material something to work other with. Than missing a, mi- missing yeah. a funeral pyre. Yeah, like when he's given something cool, like like even as we see when during the trebuchet speech, um, when when Jamie is taking um, River Run and he he has Edmure captive. And we remember when he threatens to launch yes. his unborn child over the walls of R- River Run with a trebuchet. Yes. Um, the the Edmure's acting in that scene is fantastic as well. Yes. How can you how do you sleep at night? You know, like dude, I remember it's just such a Pretty great well, performance. Dude. So and he was really good in Rome as well. He played Brutus. Yeah, the 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 oh, infamous cool. Brutus. A two brute, you know? A two Brutus. Yeah. Ides of Marcher. Yeah. Yeah, we are in the Ides of Ides of March right now, basically. Speaking of um, it. So, okay, so so that's Rob and his own little identity crisis. And then you have Sansa, who hasn't really found who she is yet anyways. Her dream has always been to be a lady. You know, she wants to be a lady yeah. of, a, of a lord. And, and, you know, she has these visions of being, you know, the the wife of a knight and, you know, having little lord babies and, and just living this, you know, little embroidered life that she has. It's the only thing I've ever her. wanted. Right. And and she's getting and she's getting a piece of that now. Right. So she doesn't hate it as much in, in King's Landing. And, oh, this woman, Marjorie, is about to save me. So I'm going to start being like her. And, and you know, her 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 dresses have have lightened a little bit and her hair is, you know, braided like Marjorie's. And, hmm. you know, she's, start, she's just acting stupid. 
you know, and, and little finger <laughs> and little fingers like, you know, do you want to come with me? You want to go home? And she's like, yeah, but you know what? I think I'm going to stay here a little longer. I mean, that's like, I think I could change my man. I'm not going to break up with them because I think that we had a really good talk last night. So right. I'm pretty sure that we're on the same track again. It's like, no, leave, no, get not. out of there. Yeah. What are you doing? That's what I should have done you know? a lot sooner. Um, think so about this. She, I was thinking about this scene and just imagine how different things would have been overall in the entire story if she had left with Littlefinger on oh, this book. I know. Can you even imagine? No, I can't because, well, I, you know what? At, at, at the same time, she should not ever, ever be with Littlefinger, ever. <laughs> yeah. You know, that just is trouble anyways. And then you have Arya. And Arya, Arya is getting dark. She's finding her identity in this, this need for her list. Her list is starting to shape who Arya is. Yeah, and when, when nobody else will deliver justice, she will. She, she will, and she's learning it. that she can't trust anybody but herself. You know, Gendry doesn't even want to go off with her, you know? Right, so, that was such a sad moment, too. Yeah, it was. I could be your family. You know, I was like, oh. Like, you always be my lady. Yeah, and the, his the response just as heartbreaking, you know? Yeah. Like, the... Well, he points out to her, you know, you're you're a lady and I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm scum. I'm a commoner. Think about this, though. Um, He's actually the royal bastard, you know. Well, he is, right? This scene, I could be your family. You know, that could foreshadow maybe that'll be true someday. Maybe they'll, you know, get hooked up like we've been speculating. If Arya were to take a husband, it would be Gendry. Yeah. Yeah, if If. she were. (laughs) I think I think that. If if anybody was going to change her mind on that, it would be Gendry, you know. Yeah, I think just they like just with sort Brienne. of had like if this anybody was going to change Brienne's mind, it might be Jamie. Maybe not. Maybe yeah. maybe no. Definitely, I would love to see her with Tormund. Not going to happen. <laughs> she just hates. You don't him. think so? <laughs> I think she's disgusted by him. Listen, I love the two together. I think they're wonderful. But imagine the babies. She, It'd be monstrous. Ginger giant. <laughs> Um, oh my god and then so I've done Arya Rob Sansa so now then you have Rob and Rob Rob's whole identity or I'm sorry John John's entire identity is the watch and has been since he's been little and this is the episode where he has to prove that he's no longer a watchman and so oh yeah John he goes in and he gets the he gets it done right, but yeah, he does. I mean, <laughs> get her done, boy. <laughs> get her done, buddy. But you oh, know, man. I mean, if if you're a book reader, you you know what his mindset is with this whole scene because this chapter is told from his point of view. So um, you get a sense of of that agony and that turmoil as as he's breaking his vows, right? Uh, which I think is is very very necessary because you know it's not easy for somebody who's been raised by ned stark who has a lot of honor who has um you know the the willpower and the strength that Jon snow does to break his vows and to you know he he just finished giving up which three castles are manned at the wall i mean he I know, is and just he's struggling with how much information can i give up everybody yeah. and everything he knows right now so so it's funny it's so that hardcore. this whole episode kind of shines a tiny little light on all four of these uh, Stark kids that are having four very separate, very real 
identity crises right now and their characters are being shaped and molded in very significant ways and it's highlighted in this episode which i think is really nice yeah you were a maid i was a man of the night's watch <laughs> yeah that's an identity crisis a maid or a man of the night's watch <laughs> i know right yeah that's great so that was it's a little point. yeah it's little but that's my number four that was cool thank you how about your number three <sighs> All right. My number three is the beheading of Rickard Stark, Ugh. or Car Stark, and the Car Stark betrayal. Um, so it starts out with a horrifying scene um, with with Willem and what's his little face, Lannister, and uh, you know Future Tom and Future Tommen. Yeah, that's what I call him. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And uh, is this a rescue? <laughs> you know, they think they're being rescued, those poor little bastards. And instead they get Martin. just like stabbed in the gut. Yeah, Martin. There you go. Willem and Martin Lannister. Um, future, AKA Future Tommen. So he gets stabbed <laughs> brutally. I'm just a squire. Please, I didn't do anything. And this reminded me um, the of the, the thing we saw last week with the hound pleading his case um, in front of the Brotherhood Without Banners. You know, I wasn't at the, the, the Maiden's Ford when those children and mothers were slaughtered. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't kill those people. So this is the, the, the those boys saying the same thing, like, we're, we're not responsible for that. We're just squires, you know, don't right. don't kill us. Um, the, the argument of individual versus the collective, like, yeah, the Lannister army's bad, but these are these individuals, like, you know, they need to be... Um, People needed to be treated on an individual basis uh, if it's not an open combat situation, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a really uh, cool mirroring of the individualism versus collectivism concept we saw last week. Mm -hmm. And I also thought it was a tragic mirror because in this case, uh, the innocent individuals don't uh, escape quite as unscathed as Sandor did. So uh, I guess you could say that the Lord of Light cares more about Sandor than these Lannister butcher boys <laughs> as well. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's so sad and weird. <laughs> yeah. You know what's strange is that Tommen, is that the same actor dies on the same show as two different people? <laughs> yeah, that's great. Right? I didn't even think about that. <laughs> we like you, we, but we, we like killing you too, you know, so uh, yeah, right. just get used to that we might, we might bring you back in season eight to play yeah. an unnamed an unnamed Lannister soldier so we could kill you a yeah. third time, dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're <laughs> really good at dying. Next time he's like Gary and Lannister. Oh my God. Be in the Guinness Book of World Records somewhere. I died on Game of Thrones the most three times. times. <laughs> That'd be great. A, a named character with multiple deaths. Yeah, that's fucking great. That's so funny. What are the odds of that? Um, so, so uh, they, you know, they kills them, escapes, and then uh, it cuts to the scene where Rob has him basically captive, and they're not getting along about it <laughs> at all. Basically, no. uh, he he calls King Rob the king who lost the North. And um, that, like, you know, pisses off Rob. And um, he has his moment there where um, the the guy's like, Mercy, sire, I didn't kill anyone. I only watched for the gods. Oh, that was <laughs> such a savage moment. Yeah, this one was only the watcher. 
hang him last so he can watch the others die. Oh my gosh, that was so savage. I was like, oh yeah, fuck yeah. So that was killer. Um, And Talisa makes a really good point. Word of this can't leave River, or someone... Someone makes this point. Word of this can't leave River Run. They were Tywin Lannister's nephews. The Lannisters pay their debts. They, they never stopped yeah, talking about it. Edmure said that. Oh, it was Edmure. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and uh, so he's, Rob's like, would you make me a liar as well as a murderer? Um, and Talisa even steps up and and points out that, like, yeah, we kind of, like, you know, shouldn't <laughs> should not let this get out. Yeah, man. When your wife and your mom are in an agreement, <laughs> listen. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> so uh, he has a great line here, Rob, where he says, will we bury them and remain silent until the war is done? And he's like, I'm not fighting for justice if I don't serve justice to murderers in my own ranks, no matter how highborn. And like, that's like such a good argument. Like, you know, you, you right? these principles are universal. You can't pick and choose where you enforce um you know, yeah, but he, he or, has picked and choose. I know. I mean, yeah, that's the struggle, you know, in like big, glaringly obvious ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's his downfall. Mm, <laughs> literally. Yeah. Same with, with it was Jamie's downfall sort of. I mean, you know, at least in terms of reputation as well. Um, it was. Yeah. I mean, as we've seen, it's, you know, these these decisions are difficult. Basically, the the, land, the Jamie Ripple effect. <laughs> so uh, they decide that you know Rob figures out that he needs to make a move and he needs to work with Walter Frey. It's like the only way to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so next we we see like the scene where Rickard is about to be beheaded, <laughs> and uh, this is an ominous scene. And it, as as it cuts to the scene, we get real ominous music too, foreshadowing an awful future. As we come to bear, as we come to witness, as it comes to bear. So the uh, the there's you know his haunting last words as he says he reminds him the blood of the first men flows through both their veins as they're branches of the same family. You know they're kin essentially right he says i fought the mad king for your father i fought joffrey for you or kin stark and car stark that didn't stop you from betraying me you know and it and it won't save you now he says i don't want it to save me i want it to haunt you to the end of your days few as they may be as we know now Mm. um neil my lord so he kneels, Rickard Karstark, Lord of Carhold, here in the sight of gods of men, gods and men, I sentence you to die. Would you speak a final word? Kill me and be cursed. You are no king of mine. Mm. Very mindful of Tywin's last words, you're no son of mine. As well, that just popped in my head right now. Um, but yeah, hardcore. He certainly was Lord cursed. Lord Umber had some pretty ominous last words as well. Oh, what were they? I don't you, remember. Well, it was like, you're truly lost the young Greyjoy or something like that. Oh. Right before he was beheaded. Fuck. I don't even remember that. Oh, you but, mean, uh, you mean, um, um, Sir Roderick Cassell. Yeah, that's who I meant. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's all right. I'm so like, sorry. Um, I can't remember what happened, uh. The great John Umber. We'll have to pay attention as we go. 
Maybe he was at the Red Wedding. I like that character, too. Remember Grey Wind biting off his fingers? Ah, your meat's yes. bloody tough! <laughs> that was oh, he's still alive. At the, uh, in the On the show in season seven? He's the one that says, the king in the north, right? Uh, I th- to Jon Snow. I, th- I don't know. I think it was somebody else. Well, we'll, we'll look into it later. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. I, d- I definitely hope he's <laughs> still alive. That's something for future Duncan and future Kristen <laughs> to yeah, figure yeah, yeah. out. <laughs> Maybe we can even get future Tommen in on this somehow. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, crazy scene I just have written after that. Kill me and be cursed. You're no king of mine. I just wrote, damn. <laughs> D-A-Y-U-M. Oh, damn. <laughs> damn. So that was cool. How about you? What's your uh, number trace? My number three? Um, yeah. So, what is it? Numero okay. trece. I found a theme. Um, awesome. I love themes. So, it's little. It's a little theme, but there were like five examples of it. So, I thought, oh, cool. all right, that's good enough. Um, it was confessions. Oh, nice. Um, there was a lot of that going on in this in this episode. Um the first one being the obvious one of Jamie to Brienne in the bath yeah, scene. Wow. Right? Yeah. Which we've talked about at length. I know. It's such point. a just terrible scene. Um, Karstark, Lord Karstark, confesses what he did to Rob. Um, to the so, uh, to Lannister kids? Oh, right. Yeah. Confess, okay, cool. He confessed a killing to them. He confessed that, you know, he's lost the war. He's no king of mine. Blah, blah, blah. But, you know, denouncing Rob. Um. And then you have um, Stannis to Solis. Uh, he oh, confesses his infidelity. Good, uh, good one. To Solis about, and she's just like, yeah, I know. I okay. wept tears of joy. I'm so brainwashed. <laughs> well, not to mention she keeps her dead babies Was in that, that formaldehyde jar. It's like, the gov- <laughs> it's like governor zombie oh, heads. You God. know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's just absolutely. really strange. Like, I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> so also this seems to make her a female cuck right so what would that what would the terminology for that be cuckus <laughs> cuckus a cuckat a cack i don't know it's a funny. cack there you go a cackled i don't know she's a cack that's fucking um, great and then you have davos to shireen he confessed to shireen that he uh that he did betray her father right. and that he does deserve I'm a traitor, to be yep. there. I'm serving my punishment. <laughs> I yep. love him. They're, I belong here. Everybody in that whole scene is so like that whole scenario is so funny. Dog, Dragonstone, dog. man. This, yeah, is, this, is so what Davos, this is what Davos is thinking of when he looks at Jon Snow and he goes, this place has changed. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it's, oh my it's God. It's the happenings that are happening right now. Yeah, Jon Snow shows up. Oh no, she, uh, Silly's probably took those, those jars with the, uh, the little fetuses with her. Uh, oh my gosh. Uh, he shows up and if- finds that room and he's like, uh, I don't want to go in that room. <laughs> he's like, I need somebody to take care of that, please. Thanks. <laughs> uh, and then you have, um, well, you have uh, John, John Snow to um, Oral. Oral or Oral? 
Oral, whatever. Oral. <laughs> Oral and Torment. He tells them all of, you know, the secrets of the wall and which ones are man and which ones aren't. Yeah, and um, he confessed his maidenhood to a uh, to, Yes, to he did. <laughs> and then, like, little confessions. You know, there was Oliver who went to Littlefinger to right. tell him. I forgot he was a puppet from the start. Yeah, he was. He Well, he's one of the whores. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I forgot. What do you call a male whore? A uh, yeah, gigolo. All right, he's a gigolo. I'm just a gigolo. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes, there you go. <laughs> and everywhere I go, you know the song? Uh, I do. I just, I know I've heard it. David Lee Roth. <laughs> I'm on very, very little sleep right now. Oh. So I'm very surprised that I'm just kind of as, as up as I am. <laughs> I told you I stayed up for over 40 hours uh, the other day, right? I know, you cry cry. Yeah, I cry. That was cool. Um. Yeah, and so that's that's it for like the like kind of the bigger confessions that you see throughout the episode. I mean, I'm impressed. you can make little stretches by saying, you know, um, that maybe Jorah and Barristan were going through some sort of a uh, war stories kind of thing where uh, Jorah's waiting to see if Barristan oh, is yeah, going to reveal what he knows. Yeah, right, that was exactly. Great. First, um, uh, first Barristan's testing Jorah, then Jorah's testing Barristan. It was fucking right. great. That was one of my uh, favorite scenes of the episode as well. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll we'll talk about it. Yeah, I have no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's my number. What am we on? Three. Three is um, <laughs> just the theme one. of confessions. Yeah. I'm impressed. I did not realize so many confessions were occurring. That was cool. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. How about you? Number two. My dos. numero dos is the Beric Dondarian revelation. Um, oh, very nice. Which is fucking. You just epic. can't get out of that. You can't get out of that cave, man. <laughs> well, I do enjoy a good Lord's kiss. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about the kiss of fire, okay, from the Lord of Light. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> um, so the uh, the scene starts with Arya reciting her list. Joffrey, Cersei, Ilan Payne, Sir Merin. And then she sort of hesitates and adds the hound. And uh, I find the hesitation interesting. Um, but you know, maybe it force, foreshadows her taking him off the list eventually. Um, but I don't, know, I don't know why she would be hesitating in that moment. Uh, maybe it's just running through her head real fast and then she's like, oh, the hound, you know. Like, just, like, maybe she's just overwhelmed in thought for a split second. But um, she's like, what, you know, talking to Beric and Thoris, and she's like, what the fuck are you guys going to do with me? <sighs> you know? And they're like, at first right. light, we'll ride to River, for River Run. Your brother's there. He'll make a contribution to our cause, and you can go home. And I liked how Thoros tells her that Beric, like, really did, like, admi admire her father a great deal. Um, as we know, it was Ned who sent him on his merry mission to uh, murder the... The mountain, that's a quadruple M. Merry Mountain Murder Mission, um, which is fucking cool. I like alliterations. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so he's like, he wanted to refuse your ransom altogether. And she's like, so why didn't you? And he's like, we need the gold, you know, which just sucks. Very because honest. they they're It's horrible that they took the mountain's gold. I mean, uh, the hound's gold. But th at the same time, they're a good cause that needs to be funded too, right? So it's mm -hmm. it just sucks all around for everybody. You know, everybody needs gold. Everybody uh, gets abused, etc. Right. So yes. Westeros, uh, yeah. Vert wait till we get like a VR Westeros game and people are like killing themselves. <laughs> this is just so that depressing. Would, 
That would be interesting. <laughs> you know, it'd be virtual reality. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, I I knew what you meant. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's so funny. I mean, you know, like a sadistic, twisted sort of comedic that, way. That sounds like an epic. That sounds like a Saw movie. Yeah, it's like a Black Mirror episode or something. Oh man. So um, Barrick asks her if she if he frightens her, and she's like, Nah. She's so blasé. Like nothing nothing phases Arya. You know, nothing phases Arya. She watched her dad's head get chopped off. How much more as you close know, scary as you can get to life. watching it? Yeah, I mean, uh, Yorin kind of like made her not look, but you know, she probably caught a glimpse or something. But uh, he he seemed pretty sure. I made sure you didn't look, but she probably saw something. You know, mm-hmm. um, so she's he's like, you're angry with me, and I don't blame you. And um, she he tells her letting him go was the right thing. You know. Um, I have more reason than most to want him hanged. And she says, I thought he killed you. And he's like, he did. <laughs> she's, she's like, uh, but how, you know, and Hathoros, how many times have you brought me back? And just that line itself it is like, what? Like, if you'd never seen it before and you didn't know this was coming, just that, the, how casual he is about that. It's like, just, like, how many times have you brought me back? It's like, I don't know. It just like is a really powerful line for some reason for me. And uh, Thoros, it's the load of well, life that brings that you point, back. Because at that point, you don't you don't know, right? And it's like whoa, you know, like a huge revelation. Uh, yeah. So Thoros is like, it's the load of light who brings you back. I'm just the lucky drunk who says the words, which I thought was a great line. Um, was it Benjamin Franklin said that God loves uh, men? That's why he created alcohol or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like something he would say. <laughs> so, the Lord of Light favoring the drunks. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that was funny. Lucky drunk. Um, so, how many times? Five, I think. No, this makes six. And he, this is sort of like another confession, you could say, is confessing his immortality to oh, some extent. Oh, very good. Yep, um, that's true. That is another confession. Yeah, it's kind of in like in a not confessing of like a sin or something, but uh, just like an untold truth, um, uh, uh, an, an occulted piece of information, something that's sort of being kept closely guarded. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's pretty cool. Um so he shows her all the different times he had a, the first time was the mountain who put a lance through his chest. Fucking hardcore, man. Can you imagine that? Wow. Um, no. Then he gets stabbed in the belly. Then it was an arrow in the back and an ax in the side. And then the Lannisters caught him and executed him for treason. Was it a hanging or a dagger in the eye? Both. Fuckers couldn't decide. <laughs> Great line. <laughs> ah, just do it both. And that sort of reminded me... Um, the Lannisters couldn't decide, so they hung him and put a dagger in his eye. And that reminded me of Jamie's tale of killing the Mad King, who he stabbed through the back and slit his throat. <laughs> right? So two different methods of execution combined by Lannisters in multiple occasions in this episode. So that's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, the second time it was <laughs> and then <laughs> the Hound makes six. And he says, it was the second time I've been killed by Clegane. And Thoros has a line that cracks me up. I just think it's so funny. He says, you'd think you'd learn. <laughs> I don't know why this is so funny. <laughs> second time I've been killed by Clegane. You think you'd learn. <laughs> Thoros is a very cool character. Yeah. And yeah, it's just really something like funny and lighthearted about 
you know, death in that line. They like take a, like a horrific and terrifying subject and make it funny for a moment. Maybe that's what's so funny about it. And uh, I don't know. Is there something funny about it? But um, then we get like a pretty startling revelation where he says, it's not getting any easier, you know. And I know every time I come back, I'm a bit less pieces of you get chipped away. And I, it's just like a terrifying way to describe that. And it makes me think of, um, as I'm saying it now, it made me think of that scene in uh, in 2001, A Space Odyssey. Have you seen that movie? No, but this is the second time this week somebody has asked me if I've seen this movie. So oh. I'm thinking it's time for me to see the movie. Yeah. And then you'll have to watch a movie about the movie, which I'll tell you about, which is freaking crazy but <clears throat> so there's this scene and this was a minor spoiler so i apologize in advance but it's wild because it fits this perfectly every time i come back i'm a bit less pieces of you get chipped away and and so there's this onboard artificial intelligence called hal hal 2000 or hal 5000 or whatever that's that's running this ship that these guys are on in 2001 a space odyssey and they're on a mission crossing the galaxy to do something i don't remember what it was it doesn't matter so uh <laughs> so hal starts like thinking that they're betraying the mission and hal starts to take matters into his into its own hands so <laughs> dave goes out to fix a some piece on the exterior of the ship and he's coming back <laughs> and uh and he's like hal open the pod bay doors hal hal Hal, are you there? I'm here, Dave. Hal, open the pod bay doors, please. I can't do that, Dave. You know, and it's like sabotaging them because he the, the AI perceives them as contradicting the mission and sabotaging the mission, and it's it's programmed to succeed with the mission. So Dave gets back in manually and he goes into the computer room essentially and starts pulling hard drives from like this old school computer from like the 60s which is hilarious pulling these drives one by one and and Hal is losing himself bit by bit and sort of oh. the way sort of like Barrack he's like Dave my mind is going Dave Dave, what are you doing? You know, and it's like super creepy. And the way that Beric says, like, you know, like pieces of me get chipped away. Every time I come back, I'm a bit less. It just makes me think of Hal as his mind starts going and he starts saying, speaking more simplistically. And eventually he's just reciting a nursery rhyme in like a in like an off tuned, like, like warping way as he's becoming more and more mentally like weak. Daisy, Daisy, tell me the matter, do. It's like creepy shit ever, right? So that just, wow. that, it made me think of that scene as this was happening. So I think that may be like a slight homage to that potentially because it's such a famous scene and such a famous movie. Um, Stanley Kubrick, arguably the greatest director of all time. Um, so yeah, definitely watch that movie, and I got a really cool movie that, that analyzes it and uh, breaks down little secrets that Kubrick inserts into the movie all over. Sort of the way that George R. R. Martin puts um, bits of you know encoded mythology and stuff into his uh, writing. Kubrick did the same type of shit with his movies, but he also incorporated information about modern events and stuff. So pretty crazy. Um, so yeah, I just thought that was a really cool scene with Beric coming back, explaining all that, talking about his mind going, and uh, it made me worry about John. You know that 
he's come back once already. He's already lost a little bit of himself, which is really sad. And uh, hopefully it, if he if it something happens and he gets brought back again, like it's just hopefully it, like it, you know, he was dead for a while. It, it could have like added effects. You know what I mean? So. Hopefully we don't see John like 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 singing nursery rhymes, Westerosi nursery rhymes, all detuned. I just want to see him make it to the end, man. <laughs> just, I just I just I just want to see him make it to the end. It's got like six episodes to make it to the end, man. Come on, dude, you can do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do it. You can do it, man. Come on. Ugh. Oh, I'm pumped to see what happens. Uh, it's going to be fucking sweet. So, yeah, that's my number two. How about your number uh, I love two? that. That Thanks. was great. Yeah. Well, my number two is uh, Big Pimpin' Tywin <laughs> Lannister. <laughs> Big Pimpin' Tywin Lannister. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What an T asshole. T to the Y to the W I M. <laughs> he is the worst. The worst. Um... Somebody forgot to tell Tywin that he isn't king. Oh, he's so hardcore. You know, he um <laughs> and, and that is and that his kids are he grown. basically uh is king. Like he feels that like he is king. You know what I mean? Well, and I understand that. I just, you know, it, it just oh, it yeah, yeah. baffles me that he thinks he can marry off <clears throat> his older children. You know, I mean Tyrion embarrassment to the family <laughs> uh, oh my gosh it's just everything that he does you know he calls his children a disgrace to the lannister name okay dude you raised them you raised them and you know he he's he's done nothing but bring harm to these two kids in front of him to to cersei and to Tyrion. um you know, he I don't know who he hates more, especially after last week uh, and us talking about kind of Cersei and Tyrion. And and uh, we had um, a listener commenting on that, too, saying how they're being treated the same. This episode shows you that they are being treated exactly the same. So right. Nailed it. Which you is, guys both which is nailed why, that. you know, you know, why Cersei hates Tyrion so much, because she views Tyrion as a lesser human, let alone yeah, anything like close literally to her genetically inferior. Like a Hilarian you know, view of lesser humans. Cersei, Cersei, arguably, she's queen regent. She should not be handled like this. And yet she is being handled like this. Um, and there's. And, yeah, and, right at the end, she's a heartbreaking line. Father, don't make me do this again. Don't Shut make me do this again. Mouth, woman. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's brutal. She already had to marry somebody who didn't love her, uh, who, who, you know, neglected her ignored her treated her like crap and moments um, of sympathy for cersei are few and far between but i really felt for her in that moment like abs- it's, yes 100 yeah. percent. especially since everybody knows loris everybody knows what well, she'd yeah, be on marrying. the plus side she wouldn't have to have sex with him <laughs> no she <laughs> so would not although like, yes she would because he told her in that scene he said no you you're still of birthing age you got to do this well she could just you know yeah, you know, well, Jamie's not back yet, but she could just you know call her brother into her chamber. It would uh, it would actually serve as perfect cover potentially uh, for continuing her current you know Jamie relationship. But I think she's like done with Jamie at this point, basically, right? Uh, well, it's, this time I, I think she's just angry with him. Yeah, but yes, yes. Remember you're when right. he comes back? She's like, "It's you're too late. It's over." Yeah, 
Well, that and then changes. he has to like sort of rape her in front of Joffrey's corpse. <laughs> okay, I mean, the scenario. We will talk best. about that. We will talk about that when that gets there because I that I I take issue with that scene, but we'll we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> okay. I have very strong feelings about that scene. I'm I'm very intrigued to hear th- feelings. Um. So and Tyrion Tyrion's got his own thing happening because you know his father basically not only you know, like broke up his marriage and I uh, his first wife died from being gang raped correct um not exactly we mentioned uh the scenario but i had forgotten that like i we didn't say what had happened remember like a week or two ago we talked about someone being raped repeatedly and every time the soldier giving her a golden a silver stag and then the person at the end being forced to do it and giving her a golden dragon and it there were so many of the coins slipping through her fingers that it was like just like a brutal gang rape that was Tyrion's um right ex-wife taisha who um had supposedly um was alleged the story goes that she was a whore that was basically uh, paid to carouse with uh, Tyrion by Jamie, um, and they ended up falling in love and being married and Tywin had her raped and told revealed that she was a whore the whole time and right and like destroyed Tyrion mentally um, and that that plays a much more ra- major role in the book but I think he told that story um, when they were playing the drinking game with with Bronn and Shay. Um, yes. potentially on the show. So yeah, that's, that's the, that's the story of Ty- Tyrion's former marriage, which ended, uh, brutally, horribly. And, um, yeah, whether or not she was a whore, um, and whether or not the love was true is important for the plot. And you'll have to read the books to get more information about that. Because it's very, yeah. And, and it's fleshed out in the books and it's a, it's a really great, uh, story, at least, with understanding Tyrion as a character and, and and his relationship with his father and as a Lannister and as a his whole. brother, I agree. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think it really and takes a story that's great on the show and really like enhances it, uh, adding a whole other elements of depth to it. I completely agree. Yeah, which completely is cool. agree. And 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 when you know when you do read the books and you and you hear Tyrion say, "I was married," you know yeah. why he's so angry. Yeah. And Whereas you're like on the show, immediately you're like, oh, going, really? yeah, yeah, T- Tywin, he was married, you stupid. <laughs> so in this scene, I realize how small and petty of a man Tywin Lannister is. Yeah. Because he, he does not want to give Tyrion Casterly Rock and his heirs and, and, and his titles and, and, and his legacy so bad that he's willing to basically hand over the north to Tyrion. How Mary crazy Sansa is that? Stark take the north. But no, you can't have Casterly Rock. In its own way, it's like almost like you're getting something way better. You know, like well, of course from one you perspective, are, but I mean, Tyrion could be like, oh, okay, I'll go along with it. But then again, from the other perspective, he could see it exactly the way you're describing it, which is like he'll go to any length just to keep me from Casterly Rock. And that can make him even ke- more mad. Yes, absolutely. And, 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 you know, Tyrion says, what are we doing to this girl? You know, yeah. I mean, how can you hate the Stark so much? I love him. He sticks up for her. After what Joffrey has done to her, now, now she has to marry me? Yeah. Like, it, it, that's just abhorrent. It's, he's one person that has consistently had her back um, from there's day one, one, you know. If there's one person that at least, uh, if there's one silver he lining in all of it, it's that 
yeah. Tyrion was never ever going to harm her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, um, they will reconcile, to say the least, I in the future. Can't wait for their reunion. I really I think, can't wait. I to think see. Tyrion will feel a lot better about about it once they get to like sort of talk a little bit or something. <laughs> I feel like it's like an awkward thing for him right now. Remember when he meets with John and he's like, "We never consummated the marriage." <laughs> you know? Yeah, he's like, "It was a sham." Yeah, promise. Yeah, yeah. I assure <laughs> you, <laughs> it's like an awkward patch for him. It's so funny. Like, I swear we're not brothers. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I wouldn't be your brother anyway. I'm a freaking Targaryen. Although he doesn't know <laughs> He's that. like, and so am I. <laughs> Wait, so they are brothers. Uh, <laughs> that's fucking great. Your brothers? Um, so no. Cersei, yes. we also learn in the scene that Cersei <laughs> is getting her information from Littlefinger. Because Oliver told L- Littlefinger about Loras's engagement to... Uh, Sansa and and at this meeting with uh, the three Lannisters, um, Tywin says Cersei has just informed me that uh, the Tyrells are planning to marry Loras to Sansa, right. which means that uh, Littlefinger is, you know, still Playing out both there sides. doing whatever it is that Littlefinger does. <laughs> yeah, n- n- um, grubbing around. So, you know, that's interesting because up until this point, I think that we all pretty much think that it's mainly Pycelle. Right, and it it, sh- it goes to show you another like uh, facet of Littlefinger's machinations too as we continue mm-hmm. and learn that he's meeting with Elena and uh, plotting with them to arrange the Red Wedding, that he's just playing all sides here. You know, he it does. He doesn't give a fuck about. He nope. does, he's chaos not, is a ladder. Yeah, he's his own. Uh, you know, his his own his allegiances allegiances to himself. You know, to that little bird that he created. To Peter Baelish, <laughs> myself. So, so here's my question. Right, this is this is what I have in my notes. Who is really the disgrace? Is it is it the is it you know Cersei and Jaime and Tyrion or is it Tywin who has created these monsters who is a monster unto himself who yeah I if if that's the question I would have to say that Tywin is absolutely Ty, the disgrace right, Tywin wins, he is right? the manifestation of the Ma- Machiavellian principle that the means of the justify word disgrace. or the, yeah that the means justify the ends justify the means. Um, you know, killing kids to to save you know another group of people or whatever, murdering entire families. Um, he is the the manifestation of that whole um, relative moral moral relativistic um, like shady <laughs> world outlook, basically. You know. Yes. Yeah. I you know I think that the. The result of who his children have become is is directly related to the monster that he is. Right. And like, you know, their paths, they're the means toward they are the means toward his end goal of creating this Lannister empire. Um, so he's like using them to as tentacles, essentially, to create alliances and further their position. And he sacrifices his own children for his end game, which is the ultimate manifestation of the 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 ends justifying the means, you know, like where he's willing to sacrifice his children as the means and for his, his grandchildren. Own game. Yeah. Like how crazy. But is he that, never man? becomes king. Right. He, he never crowns himself king. In a way, it's for the family. It's not necessarily selfish, but 
is sacrificing the the individual for the collective, which falls into the like the whole individualism versus collectivism thing that I already mm-hmm. discussed with the moral relativism, you know, where the Lannister kids didn't commit the murders themselves, neither did the Hound. Tywin values the collective over the individual, and he's willing to sacrifice the individual autonomy and the individual justice for the benefit of the collective um, in terms, in this case, the uh, sacrificing the lives and and happiness and pursuit of happiness and freedoms of his children for, mm. you know, for his endgame, for the collective of Lannister House. So it's a perfect, perfect uh, dichotomy and duality and, and of illustration of those two principles, last episode and this episode, where where we see the uh, the... The Lord of Light valuing the individual, and we see Tywin Lannister, who's the disgrace, valuing the collective. And I, mm-hmm. I maintain that individualism um, is the is the mantra. You know, collectivism. I'm I'm against collectivism. So, <laughs> so yeah, I I would say that Tywin is the villain or the disgrace. Yeah, I would too. I can wax uh, philosophic about that type of stuff, like. <laughs> Well, Tywin is just such an interesting character, right? I mean, yeah. he he enjoyed Arya when he was with her because I think that he enjoyed having uh, somebody who was able to give it back to him. Right? He's beaten his kids down to a point he that can, they don't even fight him anymore. He can tell just by the how snarky she is that she's not some common-born girl. You know what I mean? She's a lady. She's not putting up with any shit at all. She's a lady. Well, right. <laughs> but he also, he doesn't have... A sparring partner like that right. anymore. Yeah, everybody's afraid it. of him. Everybody just does what what he says to do. Yep. You know. Yeah, I agree. Loves so, it. So, yeah, it's interesting when you bring somebody like Arya into the fold uh, for Tywin because where she's not a real of, threat, but she's fun competition for a while. You know, until he realizes that she's a threat when he said anybody can be killed. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, she oversteps her bounds. Yeah, for sure. But yep. he sees it, right? Everything darkens, and he knows that she's not messing around. I mean, if Tyrion or, or Cersei said, well, anybody can be killed, he'd be like, nah, go away. I, you know, I, right. shut up. Instead, he's like, careful. Right. Wow, he's such an amazing it. actor. The look on his <laughs> face in this scene when he's like, when so Cersei good. is telling him, I won't do it, no. And he's just like, you will do what you're told, you know? And he's mm-hmm. just like glaring at her, and he just looks like he is chiseled. From granite, like he just looks like, like a lion. No question about it. He is a lion. You know. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. Yes. At the end of the scene, did you see that the Lannister lion is up and the stag is gone? No, I did not. Where was that? It's it's in the very last scene, like right before they cut away. Um, where was where was it being replaced? It was in the wrought iron. It was right there in the forefront of this of the of, scene. Uh, it which, was just, which room though? Uh, the, the hands the hand. chamber, like the small mm-hmm. council room. The well, his new small council room. Right? Okay, I didn't notice. I I I had heard something about them replacing the chairs, and oh yeah, that was me. <laughs> I I said a the while same back? thing. Yeah, what, that what? was a, a while ago. I thought that was so interesting. So this one is right at the very end. I have it up right now. It's like at the very end. Nice. And, whoops, I went too far. There. Yep. And so, hang on, I'm going to take a picture of it right now. Nice. So that I can post it later. Cool. Yep. Bunch so, yeah, that's interesting. 
They replaced the stag yeah. with the lion, it's huh? Fifty-eight oh seven. Nice. Yep. So that's a, and, and it's right there. It's um, you know the table where it's uh, Cersei and Tyrion. Tywin's already left. They're both sitting there wondering <laughs> what the, the hell just happened. Their faces are so great. Yeah. And the Cersei, big man. Lannister lion is right there. Oh, I'll, I'll 5807. I'll go check it out later. Yeah. Um, that that moment, that one moment where he walks out and they're just sitting there together and they both both like it's so funny, man. Uh, I have written down both Ty- Tyrion and Cersei are like Cersei's face like I like Lena Headey, her her expression in this moment is just brilliant. Like She's so fantastic. Yeah, I love. I hate hate her her so much, but I love her. Yeah, just wonderful um, facial expression here. Like she's just glorious. Uh, Yeah, it's so funny how those two are like good friends in real life too. So they probably had fun sitting there and like they're probably laughing about what faces should we make, (laughs) brother and sister. Like we each have our funny way of reacting. Yeah, that's so great. So, anyways, that uh, covers my number two. Nice. That was a good one. For you, the listeners of Game of Microphones, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So um, we've been talking about Audible for a really long time at this point. Um, you know, we, uh, we've told you that if you wanted to get a free audiobook, um, you can sign up for a free trial by going to audibletrial.com. Uh, slash G-O-M, and you can find all sorts of books. There are thousands and thousands of books that you could choose from. You could get a free book uh, when you sign up for a free 30-day trial. I just finished Ready Player One by Ernest Klein. I am now reading um, The Boy on the Bridge by M.R. Carey, who also wrote The Girl with All the Gifts. Uh, if you like that sort of zombie apocalypse type of um, genre, I would highly recommend purchasing our uh, picking up one of those for your audible trial you can also try out game of thrones read the books hail hydra hail hydra um right now we're in season three so that means we are with a storm of sorts which is one of my top all all time top three books ever Wow. So if you would like to check out A Storm of Swords, I highly recommend listening to it. Go to www.audibletrial.com slash G-O-M. Again, that is audibletrial.com slash G-O-M for your free audio book. Thanks, Audible. Thanks, guys. What's your number one? My numero uno, let's see, is... Numero uno. My number one is The Princess Baratheon and The Onion Knight. All right. I like that combo. Those guys have a cool little relationship, you know? I love Davos and Shireen. Yeah, this is uh, the introduction of that little bond. And um, it starts out, like you mentioned, with Selyse as Stannis goes to visit her. She's praying in the darkness, and Stannis enters, and she says, I prayed day and night for you to come to me. And Stannis goes through this confession, and like right off the bat, like when she's praying, I just have written down, Selyse is brainwashed as shit. Yeah. She's like MK Ultra to the fifth like dimension, and <laughs> she's just out there, and 
like to the point where she's like cacked, you know, she's all cucked. Like, yes, thank you. Like I was moved to tears that you betrayed my trust and, you know, <laughs> slept with another woman. I mean, it, it, she did give him a temporary child, male child. So <laughs> maybe she was excited about that. Um, but it's still, and then like it transitions to the bizarre. Um, oh, and and just like Cersei had that great expression that we were just talking about, Stannis has sort of a similar one in this moment where his facial expression is just perfect. I've broken a sacred vow. I've sinned. And he just has this like grinding look on his face. Like, and that's mm-hmm. one thing about it. in the books, they always say he's grinding his teeth, grinding his teeth, grinding his teeth. And he sort of like, like looks like he's sort of like grinding in this moment. And uh, it's just a wonderful expression again, like still frame on this moment. If, if you <laughs> just watch it, cause it's so funny. And, um, she knows about everything already and she it transitions to the bizarre and you see how like truly gone mentally she is um as she's like just um re- like just permanently in regression mode or like um she's emotionally stuck you know like how like people can be like emotionally like uh, still like at the, like a child child's level she's just mm-hmm. emotionally trapped like in these miscarriages essentially um uh, yeah i would agree with that it's horrifying and uh yeah like you said the governor with the heads in from the walking dead with the, the zombie heads in the tanks there's just like these little babies are sitting there in the tanks like preserved and st- even stannis is like uh, like <laughs> like this is fucking crazy you know and right? uh, and she the first uh, time you see that you're like uh. yeah and you can even tell like he's like whoa and so she is just like even even worse than being like gone mentally is her attitude towards her daughter, which I just find despicable. And it just makes yes. it even all the more impactful when at the last moment it's Selyse who tries to save Shireen and Stannis who stays stoic and allows her to burn. That makes that moment even more horrifying. You know what I mean? Wait a minute. Selyse kills herself. Afterwards, After but d- when dies. when you know Celise or Shireen is burning and she's like, "Save me, Father!" and that and Celise starts to run forward and it's like something in her snaps and she realizes that it's her daughter burning for like the first time she's ever given a fig right. about about it. And okay, it, I see what you're saying. The, yeah, the fact yeah, yeah, that yeah. the fact that seeing Shireen burn even causes. Celise to turn and and like feel something for her. it's like if Cat was suddenly like oh my God Jon Snow I love you you know what I mean like you'd be like whoa <laughs> like something like that must have been something impactful that created that change so right you know it's like crazy mm-hmm. like just her uttered emotionless monstrous regard towards her daughter uh, is just disturbing um, she says I you know. Oh, my sweet boys, Peter, Tomard, Eric. And these, we're talking about these fetuses uh, in the in the tanks and the green liquid, like, like out of like a crazy horror movie. Uh, and I, th- I thank God every day for bringing Melisandre to us. She gave you a son. I gave you nothing. And I'm just like, Ugh. oh, it's fucking bad, man. Like you gave him like beautiful loving caring daughter that's just like the most uh, like like 
indigo child of this whole story, right? Just you know kind what I mean? Kind and good and like very Marcella. Yeah, yeah. She, like teaching people to read and just like like you can't make a more innocent, well, like good-hearted character than Shireen. Like, agree. Even telling like her father like. Her father is saying, basically, I might have to kill you without saying that, you know. And she's like, anything mm-hmm. I can do to help you, father, just tell me, you know, <laughs> like basically volunteering, like arguing for him to do what to make the tough decision, which is to kill her, you know, without knowing it. Uh, so uh, it's just so fucked up. And so Stannis is that makes him mad. And he's like, that's not true. Oh, you're here to see her. Yeah. Uh, there's no need you must keep away from such distractions. And I'm like, ugh, like awful. And Stannis like sticks up for Shireen, which makes it even more disturbing how committed he is to his destiny too, that he's willing to sacrifice the one thing that he's always never, never faltered for. You know, he, he, everybody in the entire planet told him Shireen was doomed to death from the, from the gray scale. And he called maesters from all around the planet and healers from every corner of, of Westeros and the, the planetos, you know, and, and ended up saving Shireen's life because she is the princess of House Baratheon, you know, like the Mm -hmm. one thing above everything for him. So it's it's so heartbreaking for him to sacrifice that for a failed mission. But then it's also super heartbreaking to see Selyse's mind change in the last minute and to see her like wake up sort of from her trance and be like, wait, this is wrong. All of this is wrong. You know what I mean? Right. No, no, don't let her burn. Um, so it's just super fucked. And it like this scene like just sets this the stage for all of that with just seeing how like twisted Selyse is and the the we see Stannis stick up for Shireen, we see Selyse putting her down and uh everything is turned upside down in the end. And then uh so he goes to see her and she sings the creepiest song in the world <laughs> <laughs> about uh, this is not explicitly said on the show, but it's another cool little book tidbit that'll make you guys interested. This is a song that's sung by uh Stannis's fool, um Patchface. And we don't really get the fools on the TV show. We have um, Joffrey who makes Ser Dantos a fool, but he never he's never like really like playing the fool character of much. But there's all these different fools in the books. Mushroom, I think, is one of them, like from like the old history. Um, there's Patchface. Uh, I can't even remember. There's so many, but Patchface wears a little stag antlered the crown like a spoof crown that has like stuff dangling from it little bells and stuff so he's got like motley tattooed on his face and stuff and so he like dingle dingle jingle jingles all around and he was he arrived um to to dragonstone as like this child who came from essos somewhere and he was like a mental prodigy who was like supposed to be like this super genius kid and um the ship crashed and he ended up like drowning and supposedly and he was like dead for x amount of time but he washed ashore and ended up being revived and he was altered <laughs> you know and now he's like this crazy guy who goes around talking about shadows coming to dance and birds having scales under the sea and fish taking wing and and all this weird stuff and he's like this like 
people have analyzed his prof like they they what his his ramblings and it seems that they are prophetic um, ah. and predict things such as the red wedding and potential future events the shadows come to dance like the song she sings now it's always summer under the sea and blah blah, blah and the shadows come to dance right to play and Very that, nice. that is, seems to be referencing um the resur- the attempted resurrection or saving of Khal Drogo by uh, Mary Mazdur when uh, the shadows come to dance and sing in the tent as she's ululating and singing these chants and trying to perform the blood magic ritual, all these shadows come and dance in the tent. And you, from people on the outside can see the shadows moving on the tent, but they know it's just Miriam's doer in there. But there's all these shadows dancing. So that's one instance of his ramblings being prophetic and uh, referencing other events that are occurring and simultaneously in different areas of the realm. So it's really cool, like weird little stuff like that throughout the novels that like are encoded with secrets that you can decipher. And George R.R. Martin is the best um, author of all time. Basically he's right up there with Shakespeare. Yeah. Hail Hydra. And, um, yeah, so check that out. Definitely read that. So this is a really crazy, creepy scene. That song was cool. And she, right off the bat, um, Father, you've grown since I last saw you. <laughs> Mother said you fought in a battle. Did you win? No. No. <laughs> Did the Onion Knight come back with you? First question. Nah. Like, for first thing she asks, besides, like, oh, you're okay. Did you win? Oh, that sucks. Is, is Sir Davos okay? Like, first thing her mind goes to. Obviously, there's some type of special connection with the Onion Knight. She fucking loves this guy, man. Right? So, uh, he did. He fought bravely, he says. <laughs> he hasn't come to visit me. He said he'd bring me back a present from the capital. He won't be visiting, child. Why not? He's my friend. <laughs> and she pulls out this, this, this stag that he carved, which ends up being important in the future. Remember, he goes to have his walk. When he gets really yeah. nervous, he goes to walk and finds shit it. for all night because he's going to shit all night <laughs> before a battle. Right? And he finds that burnt stag that he carved and knows the horrible truth. And uh, so here's the introduction of that, which ends up coming full circle. So she's, he, Stannis is so blunt. If there's, if there's anything about Stannis, it's blunt, you know, as he's writing the letter to every, all the Lords of the seven kingdoms, remember, uh, your beloved brother, he was not beloved. <laughs> it's a, a, right. a mindless, a harmless courtesy, my lord. A, a lie. lie. Take, Take it, it out. out. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So like he's ever blunt and, uh, He's like, uh, Sir Davos is a traitor. He's rotting in a dungeon cell for his crime. <laughs> so blunt. Best forget him. <laughs> just like, God damn, dude. I know. And, and like, she's just so hurt by what he's saying. And he's like, and then like, he's like super uncomfortable after that. Like, you get to like, when he gets well, uncomfortable. All right, I, I'm going to go now. <laughs> he's he's the best at being uncomfortable. He's uncomfortable here. He's uncomfortable when he's telling his wife about his about his infidelity, and that's like that, that look in his such face. Such a great the moment, grinding for him. teeth. Like he's oh my god, Stephen Delane. He's he's not happy with his performances. He's fucking crazy. He's the perfect Stannis. I know. He's it's the perfect good he didn't Stannis. Read the books. Yeah, it it's it's good. Stannis wouldn't have read the books either. You know what I mean? So like, it's exactly the way it had to be, and. Uh, <laughs> it's just so fucking funny so uncomfortable and uh so then next scene we get is Shireen sneaking down to meet Davos 
Um, onion Knight, Sir Onion Knight. <laughs> Princess. Gods, what are you doing here? Shh, you'll wake Bert. Bert? He's the fat He's one. He's drunk. <laughs> he gets, he likes to drink wine and sleep. And it's so funny when she offers to give him reading lessons. I can come when Bert's on duty. You know, like she's, <laughs> she's locked in this castle, the poor little girl. Like, and so she knows all the guards. She knows everybody because she like is the ghost of, of Dragonstone, basically. Ghost of Dragonstone. You know? Very nice. It's horrifying. And um, like Arya is the ghost of Harrenhal. Um, and there is the, the ghost of Winterfell too, uh, which you read the books, people. Um, so uh, he said, <laughs> "Go back to your room. You're not supposed to be here. If your father knew, he said you were a traitor. Are you?" And Davos, <laughs> I am, child. I disobeyed my king, your father, and now I'm paying the price. <laughs> and Serene just. Pure indigo. Um, look up indigo, children, if you don't know what I'm talking about. I, <laughs> I don't care. You're my friend. You know? <laughs> Just like the most innocent, pure thing. Like, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. I know you. I know your essence, you know? Whatever you did, you felt it was right. doesn't matter. Um, you're my friend. I don't care. You know? So it's just fucking Everybody brilliant. needs a friend like that. Yeah. Um, and I, I love Shireen. She's fucking great. Just a beautiful beautiful essence um so yep. being that you know that she's gonna be killed and so that's not yep. funny, right you can't exist you can't be that in this world the good die young you, yeah yeah really, really young in this case sadly um and uh, yeah it's so awful uh, so he's, he's Davos ever blunt as well. Uh, that's what Stannis likes about Davos. That's what Davos likes about Stannis. Two peas in a motherfucking pod, you know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> right, so there uh, she breaks. She's so considerate. She's like, you must be bored down here. She brings him a book to read, and it's about Aegon and his dragons. And Aegon used to live here, you know, and it's true. Um, Dragonstone was a stronghold that the Targaryen family built when they fled from Valyria. So uh, Aegon, the Conqueror, grew up in Dragonstone. And uh, <laughs> she goes on and she's talking about the, how the Targaryens built the castle. And she's, she tries to give him the book. You can hide the book under your cloak. It's a good one. I'll bring you more. And he's like, it, I, I thank you, but it would be wasted on me. You know, I'm sure it's a fine book. And she's like, what are you talking about? My lady, I, I, I can't read the words, you know, and that's just a sad moment in itself. And her reaction says it all. She's like, you can't like mind blown by that. Like she's the viewer, like Bran was the viewer in the Jamie scene and she's the mm -hmm. viewer for this moment. And uh, it's, it, it's, she's surprised because she's been locked in the castle her whole life. She doesn't know what it's like out there, but most people can't read and write in Westeros, you know, but she's so like wonderful about it. Cause she's like, I'll teach right. you. No it's question. Not hard. It's not Super even easy. Yeah. It's not even a question to her. Like, Oh, yeah. well, uh, she's I'm, like, Oh, you can't do it. I can. Yeah. We're both here all the time. And I know. So that's an easy problem to fix. Like, you're going to, it's going to be so cool for you, bro. Like you're going to learn so much cool stuff. You know? So she's mm -hmm. like so enthusiastic and like just super on board with enriching Davos's life and giving him this amazing gift. And, uh, and, uh, she gives him a brief little lesson here. See this word, this is egg on. When you see a E G together like this, it sounds like egg, which is kind of cool because we were talking about Duncan egg last week and about mm -hmm. varies being bald as an egg and, Egg has significance on this show in general, 
stone well, dragon eggs, you know, like and as she's con- as she's talking about Aegon and his conquer uh conquest of Westeros, what does the voiceover carry to? I can't remember. Daenerys. Oh, awesome. Marching with the unsullied. But that's cool. Yeah, I love that. I have a question about the grammar here as well. The title of the book is An History of Aegon the Conqueror and His Conquest of Westeros. Right, so it is an history. Wouldn't that, like, grammatically, wouldn't that be a history? Isn't it? Don't it you use would be, an if it, there's it a It would a vowel? be, but there, I mean, there are... Um, Exceptions? Because well, yeah, I feel like the, an history so an, is common. An is used, uh, A-N is used before a lot of H words. Okay. Um, I can't think of them now, of course. Uh, an honorable man. Oh, that's, right? that one, the H is silent, though. I'm trying to remember other ones. That's the one that just came to, but it it's tricky. There's, there's yeah, that's a certain rule when it comes to H. It's interesting. So. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was just, uh, you know, stuck out to me. But yeah, back to the uh, matter at hand. Little good little scene. We love, I love Shireen and her little history lessons. She's always talking about books and uh, Targaryen kings. And she gets her, her and Tyrion f- would have gotten along very well. Oh, man. Yeah, that would have been so cool. Wow. What a, what a crazy combo that would have been. Um, yeah, yeah, she, remember in season six, I believe before she's killed, she is giving her Stannis a lesson on the dance of dragons. And he's like, you know, we were talking about it last week. The dances with the, uh, the Targaryen factions when Aegon the second made a, you know, his family made a power move to secure the throne and ahead of his sister who was ahead of him in line and, and Stannis being the ever clinical, um, sterilized, blunt, non-poetic, um, you know what I'm, the, the vibe I'm getting for, he doesn't get it. And he's like, why do they call it a dance? Right. <laughs> he's like, this is a fight. <laughs> he's so clinical and <laughs> lacking, um, <laughs> flavor. But yeah. Lacking say. of any kind of yeah. Uh, symbolism or. Yeah. It's fucking great. It's so brilliant, like it's the way that George is able to capture the essence of people in these different ways. You know, I agree. These people seem like real people. Like we're talking about this shit for like three hours a week. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of fucked up. Maybe yeah, we need but, to see some you know, psychiatrists or something. It is what it is, man. Yeah. <laughs> we also have people that like to listen to it for uh, three yeah. hours a week, so we can all be crazy yeah. together. <laughs> yeah. That's the best part. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> the cuckoo's nest. Um, so, yeah, that pretty much wraps yeah. up mine. My numero uno. How about you? Cool, man. So, my number one was the title, Kissed by Fire. <laughs> I knew that was going to be your number one, so I didn't include it in my list. Actually, you'll be surprised. That's not the only thing that's my number one, all right, Pervert? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, Kissed by Fire, uh, we all think refers to... The uh, let's get it on, let's get it on, right? <laughs> yeah. Cave sex. Um, bow, bow. So, right. So, John and Egret finally take it to the next level. Something <laughs> take relationship every, everybody to the next had level. been waiting on. <laughs> oh, uh, she steals his maidenhood. Oh, I got to say something about that real quick, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, she has a line to him. 
when they're about to uh, to do it, right? Um, mm-hmm. She steals his sword. Okay, yeah, that's what it was. She steals his sword. And I thought that <laughs> sort of was foreshadowing her, like, sort of stealing his other sword in a couple minutes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and it could be, like... Their wildling wedding night. Yeah, it's like they sort of totally like sort of reverse the concept of um, even make a like a joke of it by calling him a maid. Typically in the wildling culture, the male steals the female, right? She totally right. steals she the male. Stole him. She steals his sword, steals his his sword, you know, right? <laughs> forces himself on her sexually or I mean, doesn't force him, but like definitely like, you know, makes that happen. Right. He goes along willingly, but not without a little pushing, you know, <laughs> a little stripping. Before he pushes it himself. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So, you know, it it's probably the happiest that we see John so far. And oh, yeah. Since. No question. The first time right? we've seen him like, like, get, Laugh, get love, smile. like, and, you know, at least that type of love. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, he's, they, they talk, they're talking in the cave about, you know, uh, Egret and her past, uh, conquests, I guess. (laughs) So funny. You know, she, she's been with another ginger who was kissed by fire, just like her. And, you know, John kissed his own fire and, you know, everybody (laughs) loved it. Everybody loved it. Um, Fire you know, crotch joke. Egret couldn't even get out. You know nothing, Jon Snow, because she quickly realized that he might know something. <laughs> um, you <but> know, if, <laughs> yeah. But if you go away from that and you go, you know, into what? Okay, so what? Why is this called Kiss by Fire? There's so much that's happening other than Jon Snow losing his maidenhood, maidenhead, right? <laughs> his so, maidenhead. <laughs> Classic. So you have uh, Sandor Clegane's fight with, yep. where everything has been erupted in flame. The sword has been kissed by fire. The shield has been kissed by fire. Sandor's face has been kissed by fire. Yeah. Right. There's that one point where the fire like literally like French kisses him where he steps over the fire like you mentioned. Yes. And it just like, you know, kisses him. His whole body is just like engulfed right. with a spark Everything kiss. is everywhere. Um, Sparks kiss him all over. You have Jamie's confession where he's talking about the wildfire and uh, and what he has prevented with the killing the pyromancer and the wildfire that had been stashed all over the city. Uh, and then you have right. um, and then you have uh, Barristan Selmy and Jorah's conversation about their war stories. And um, Jorah mentions that. Uh, Thoros goes into um, what was it? The Pike? Was it Pike? Yeah, they're talking about the. And he went in with the flaming sword. Yep, and they end up talking about that in person, um, and in Beyond the Wall. Remember? Oh, that's right. You were the bravest man I ever saw. I was drunk. I didn't even remember. I don't even remember it. Yeah. Um, great. So, you know, my my number one was going to be the scene between John and Egret, but, you know, I mean... the drunkest man you ever saw. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. But it was... Oh, uh, my God. You know, there wasn't really a lot more than that other than the mention of, you know, it finally happened and, and it could be referred as their um, kind of wedding night and, you know, I am yours and you are mine and all of that stuff. I, they yeah, didn't it was a say those words. Wedding. I, yeah, right. Straight up. 
Um, you know, and so from that point on, from from that point on, you know, they kind of have, have each other's backs and she has his back with a couple arrows. Right. (laughs) Well, that's what I was saying to a certain extent. Right. So, um, so anyway, so I decided to play with the, uh, with the title a little bit and love it. I like trying to figure out why things were titled the way that they are. (laughs) You swore some vows. I want you to break them. <laughs> yeah, no. I like that moment. We shouldn't. We should. We should. <laughs> it's just a great little back and forth there. The battle between, you know, the vows and everything. That's John's moment of conflict where he, like, you know, knowing Ned Ned violated his vow it, somewhere in the back of his mind may have had an influence on him here. Where it was like, maybe it's not so bad, in, you know, in the end. Yeah, maybe not, buddy. Why are you still dressed? You know nothing, John Snow. Oh. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> yeah, so that was a good scene. I did like, um, you know, his, his continued conflict of deciding how much information he can give up. Right. Um, I liked Tormund. I had a, one of the best lines, I like you, boy. But if you lie to me, I'll pull your guts out through your throat. I love Tormund. Fucking great. That guy is I so cool. Tormund. And his voice is just so unique, too. And now he is, you know, Jon Snow's ride or die. Yeah, basically. They sort of hit it off right off the bat, you know. I think there love was, like, him. some sort of respect, like, immediately for some reason. Uh, even though he says that Jon's prettier than his daughter's. <laughs> <laughs> so that was cool. Uh, let's see. Yeah, the moment where he asks, were you a maid? And she starts telling him, and eventually, yeah, yeah, thanks, I think I've heard enough. <laughs> like, right. I'm starting to feel right, sick. Right. He's like, they, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a dangerous game to play with anybody. So funny. Um, so uh, then, uh, what is that? What else we got? Was that, was, that was it for your number one, right? I, well, I mean, I have, yeah, I have one, uh, I have a couple of notes, but one of them that I didn't get to mention was that, uh, we got to see five new characters tonight or yeah. Uh, we see Grey Worm, uh, Kyburn finally actually gets like a character, you know, other than half dead guy on the gate. Mm -hmm. Um, we see Shireen for the first time, Celise yep. for the first time. Yep. And I also put Oliver in there because I felt like he was a, oh, he yeah. was He's really a significant important. character. Mm-hmm. For sure. So those are our five new characters for our already complicated woven tapestry. Epic. How about your, uh, your note? Uh, the other one is just if we wanted to talk about just we never went to uh, we never went to Essos tonight. Oh, right. Yeah, I just really loved that scene between Danny and um, Grey Worm, where Grey Worm was like, no, I love my name. My name is Lucky. Yeah, that was you know, really cool. She's horrified, and he's trying to tell her, oh, this I, is a lucky I don't name. want the name that I was taken, you know, as a slave. Yeah. I want the name where somebody freed me. I, I am Grey, Grey Worm. I'll own it. It's interesting, you know? too. It's slightly different than the books. Do you remember the uh, the difference here? I don't. As part of the Unsullied brainwashing, um, they have the Unsullied soldier pick a different weapon every day, um, and there is a name inscribed on the weapon. 
and whatever that oh, whatever that's right. that yeah whatever that weapon says that's your name that day so you don't have a name really like that day he was Grey Worm, and so when when he has this meeting with her on the, on the in the books, he's like, "The day that I was freed, I was Grey Worm. Like Grey Worm is a lucky name, you know that that was my name the day. Not it was like it wasn't like oh like they ca- I was captured and they made me Grey Worm and that's just what I've been. It was like no 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 that was the day that the Daenerys Stormborn freed me. You know that's yeah, the day that, that would I have was been Grey Worm. That would have been a better story. Yeah, so I, little things like that are different in the books that are just to add like little different elements to it. I thought that was kind of a cool one worth mentioning. Um so yeah, every day the great the uh, unsullied have a different name. Maybe that was just too psych- psychologically traumatic to include in the show. Um, right, right, right. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, it is. He's yeah, it's a lucky lucky name. He got Grey Worm the day that he was freed. So fucking awesome. I, I like mm-hmm. Grey Worm, man. He's a cool guy. He really cool yeah, accent. Yeah, he's a favorite. Yeah. Favorite of mine. <laughs> yup. So let's so. see. I had written down in my notes that when. When Baelish goes and is talking with Cersei and she wants him to do something for her, she is scary looking, man. She she looks like like the epitome of like the powerful queen figure. Or she just like uh, she just looks really scary. <laughs> really, really scary. Yeah. You know? And you see she's like, and your best will prove better than when I asked you to locate Arya Stark. And just grills him. <laughs> and he's like, I assure you that it will. You know, but I'm like, damn, she's scary looking. And then we had a scene where uh, Tyrion is talking with Elena, with fucking Tyrion and the Queen of Thorns have a scene together. Lo- yeah. And it was money, as you would expect. As she's like, Titans I'm rather co- disappointed. Yeah. And-, and his response to that, he's like surprised that, that she's underwhelmed by him. <laughs> it's sort of the same reaction that... Um, that Oberyn described, you know, he's used to getting such extreme reactions from people. He's surprised. He's taken aback that she's underwhelmed, right? He's trying to be so polite and to offset that perception. And it, like, works too much, you know? So well, it also shows, I mean, just what Tywin does to very strong characters such as Tyrion, you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, he's he doesn't want to step out of line. He he's doesn't cowed. want to... Yeah. Uh, he doesn't want to bring any attention to himself, to his father. So funny. And then when he does succeed and gets Elena to fund half the wedding, and he tells his father and he just blows him off like there's more important things to talk about. And he's like, um, I'm the hand of or I'm the uh, the, the master, of, master coin. of coin and I just saved half the money for the wedding. That's kind of a big deal. Um, and he just blows him off totally. But yeah. <laughs> this is such a funny scene. She uh, she. He's like, they're, she's explaining that, you know, traditionally the royal family pays for the wedding. And he's like, but we're at war. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I, oh, did, I forgot. Yeah. What is it? 12,000 entrymen, 2,000 in support, provisions for this city can sur- to survive the winter, a million bushels of wheat, half a million bushels of barley, each barley, oats, and rye, 20,000 heads of cattle, 50,000 sheep. Yeah. Yeah. We are at war. Yeah. I'm funding that war, you dumb, you dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> And still, you can't pay for this. One. Yeah, and uh, it's so funny, man. She goes on to say that it's better they provide distractions for the people; otherwise, they'll create their own, and those distractions will likely end with us being torn to pieces, like uh, the Septon in uh, the riot 
um, at King's Landing last season when uh, who threw their poops at me? Joffrey gets pegged with poops and the kill them all. Yeah, and the high septum gets torn to pieces. Literally, uh, isn't that what happened to Mussolini too? Is it somebody? Somebody got torn to pieces. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's pretty crazy. I have crazy. some gaps in my history. Yeah, me too. Trust me. Uh, so. Uh, I, yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, I was told you were drunk, impertinent, and thoroughly debauched. You can imagine my disappointment at, at finding nothing but a browbeaten bookkeeper. <laughs> yeah, his, his expression is great. She is fucking hilarious, too, and the scene's starting, and she's like, are there figs? Fetch some. And like, <laughs> she's just so snarky with the help and, and everything. Move the bowels. Yeah, I always take figs mid-afternoon. Um, and then, like... She gets interrupted, and he he goes to say something, and she's just like, "Fuck it, I'll pay for half." Basically, and he's like, "Oh, right. thank you so much." <laughs> yeah, she just felt bad for him. I think she like developed sympathy for his character. That he seemed like such a weak, pathetic person compared to like the like um, like crazy guy she was expecting. And she was like, oh, "I actually do kind of want to help you out. Give three a bone." Yeah, <laughs> fuck it. So funny. She's like, sounds good. Yeah. Um, what else we got? Oh, there was a um, the line Barristan said: "A man of honor keeps his vows, even if he's serving a drunk or a lunatic." And that both tells us um, how he would feel about Jamie, um, considering Jamie broke his vows and killed the lunatic king that he was serving. And it was like sort of a prodding question to uh, see how loyal Barristan or how loyal Jorah is to Danny. I think as well, because they were both sort of testing each other throughout those conversations. He says, "Oh yeah." He says, "Do you believe in her?" And he says, "With all my heart," which is a great line. Um, and it's just so sad too because Barristan is going to out him, but he really does believe in her with all his heart. You know, so the whole Barristan or the whole Jorah storyline is really sad. Um, in a lot of at a lot of times, his whole life <laughs> basically, you know. Uh, I know, poor Jorah. Yeah, poor Jorah. I mean, he did sell some slaves though, so <laughs> yeah, he kind of earned. He some did of it. deserve it a few times. Yeah, some of the times he deserved it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was cool. Oh, Littlefinger has another great line where it sums up some like his worldview. And I had talked recently about um, somebody that I had seen describing psychological tendencies that differ between men and women and how like largely men and women are similar, but it's the extremes where you start to see the differences. And um, like this, like the most extreme buff guy will be like way bigger than the most extreme buff woman or like the, the most extreme, like, like, I don't know. You get the point. Um, yeah. But uh, they were talking about how men tend to be more obsessed with things. So when you like go to the extreme of that, that's why like 90 percent of engineers are men. And then you go to the other extreme. Women tend to be more uh, uh, like obsessive with people and and social stuff. And so that's why like ninety percent, eighty five percent of nurses are women because they're more drawn to work with people and help mm. people, whereas guys are more like drawn to things and like figuring out things. And you know, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, pretty cool. So like you can see with like extremes, like where like the real differences between men and women tend to be. Um, although we're largely you know similar. Um, generally speaking so that was kind of cool because um, Littlefinger has a line here that illustrates that where he says strange isn't it he's talking with Sansa what is 
it doesn't matter what we want. Once we get it, then we want something else, you know? He says, I've always wanted a ship, now I want a dozen, right? And it's like, guys, just fixated on that st on stuff, whatever it is, you know? Like, something like that you're, like, obsessing about, whether it's that car or that, like, guitar or that, you know, that nuclear physics project you're working on or, like, whatever, you know? Like, there's something you're thinking about. <laughs> it's true with me. I definitely like things. <laughs> Non-sexually. You know, that was not yeah. like, <laughs> I like no pun intended. I there. like, um, yeah, I like, I like people studying people, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So. Right. I mean, I like people too, but I really like things too. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you know, you, we all, we all have our own things, you know, it's cool. I think so. It's cool. It's cool, man. <laughs> Tywin had a cool line. Uh, <laughs> this is a plot. Plots are not public knowledge. <laughs> right. And you mentioned me with conspiracy theories, so I was like, that's right. That's <laughs> 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 uh, so funny. Um, we need to act first and kill this union in its crib, he says, talking about preventing Sansa from being married into the Tyrell household. Um, so we'll make our move. Um, uh at some point, he says, uh, after Joffrey's, they'll make their move after Joffrey's wedding. Wedding, We need to move first. So that, to me, also foreshadowed uh, in grossly um, accurate description uh, the killing of the unborn prince of Rob and Talisa. Tywin says, we need to act first and kill this union in its crib. And so that is sort of metaphorical of killing the union of Rob and Talissa, the child, and mm -hmm. in its crib, in this case, being the womb. Um, so, like, he ordered, he had just ordered the Red Wedding, probably. He's like, kill Rob, kill Talisa. If she's pregnant, I don't care. Kill the baby. Like, we need to just kill eliminate all of them. them all. Kill the future. Yeah. Um, <laughs> future Tommen died as a result. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, he kills their future, it become, blows back on him, you know, his whole fu family's future is pretty much destroyed in the end, uh, which is exactly what he's done to, to other, other houses. This is M.O., House yeah. Rain, House so Tarbeck. The Reigns of Castamere is such a somber song because it's prophetically coming back to bite the Lannisters, you know. Now the Reigns weep over the Lannisters' halls, you know, essentially. <laughs> he was so blunt and clinical with Cersei. Yes, you will. You're still fertile. You need to marry again and breed. Right. <laughs> I'm Queen Regent, not some broodmare. You're my daughter. He's damn. He's so intense. Um, yeah, that covers my notes too. It's pretty much cool. up there. I think we did a good job with this one, man. Yeah, definitely. Lots of cool stuff to cover. Lots of fun, fun revelations. Um. Awesome. That's great. So, yes, hang with us, guys. We'll be right back. And we're back with news about Game of Thrones. Take it away, <laughs> this article comes from Newsweek in an article by uh, a man named Andrew Whalen titled George R.R. R. Martin blogged on hold to focus on Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire projects. Interesting. 
George R. R. Martin, author of A Song of Ice and Fire series, cool. on which HBO's right <laughs> Game of Thrones is based, announced he'll be dialing back his online presence to focus on work. The writer currently has multiple irons in the fire, but it's tempting to read this renewed focus as a positive sign for the oft-delayed The Winds of Winter release, the sixth entry in A Song of Ice and Fire series. So we've been talking a lot about... Uh, Grim and the delay of the last two books. And Duncan and I don't really like to kind of emphasize any of this because, you know, he'll put it out when he puts it out and that's how it's going to go. But I thought this article was really interesting because there are, he is, he has so much on his plate right now that I thought seriously <laughs> uh, you would enjoy as listeners knowing that it's not just him off, you know, food blogging or anything. He actually has a lot going on. So here are the projects occupying Martin's time. He has five HBO shows. Uh, HBO wants to fill the vacuum that will be left behind when Game of Thrones wraps its final season. So far, that involves five different spinoff pitches, which we've talked about before, each headed up by a different writer. Martin is advising on all five of them. Huh, He's got other movies and TV projects. So studios Wait, are did. looking at adapting more of his work outside of A Song of Ice and Fire. Night uh, Flyers. Not much is known about Martin's other projects, but he has written about meetings with some major film studios and some possibilities include older novels and novellas like A Song for Leah, The Glass Flower, Portraits of Its Children. And um, as Duncan just said, we Sci-fi. do have the... Um, Night Flyers, right? Yeah, Night Flyers is coming out on sci-fi. Which is coming out, right. Uh, so he has producing, he's producing adaptations and editing other work. In addition to working on five different shows based on his own work, Martin is also producing an HBO adaptation of Nettie Okafor's novel, Who Fears Death? Martin has always been an enthusiastic promoter of fellow fantasy and sci-fi writers, which Definitely extends true. into his editing work on numerous short story compilations like the ongoing Wild Cards anthologies. And all the um, the little novellas, um, but I'm not sure about the Duncan Egg ones. Yeah, 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 the Duncan Egg novellas and all the other like little ones, they're all found within anthologies and compilations of other uh, stuff, basically, like collections of short stories by a bunch of authors that mm-hmm. he puts works in to encourage people to explore other authors that he enjoys. So yeah, he's definitely a big proponent of that. He also has what we have talked about. Uh, I think we talked about this last week, his uh, fire and blood yeah. series. So Martin has a book set in Westeros coming out before the winds of winter. Uh, his epic two volume history of the Targaryen dynasty, fire and blood. The first volume should be completed soon. He wrote in February, uh, once jokingly returned to referred to as the G R R M Merillion, the Grimmerillion, the Grimmerillion. It, Thank you. It's a, uh, it's a play on a Tolkien book the called Verm- the Simmerillion yeah. or something. I do remember. Yeah. Fire and Blood reflects the obsessive amount of background and history that goes into A Song of Ice and Fire novels. Final touches on this, his next book release is one of the most likely 
uh, focuses of Martin's buckle-down work period. And finally, of course, the Winds of Winter release. Will Martin be wrapping up his next novel soon, or is he cutting back on his blogging to clear his plate in anticipation of focusing on the Winds of Winter next? Back in 2016, Martin wrote, there's a lot written, hundreds of pages, dozens of chapters. Barring major structural changes, it will surely see, it sure seems likely the Winds of Winter must be close to completion. But as Martin himself has stated over and over, it will be done when it's done. <laughs> Can't wait. Take your time, buddy. Yeah. Make sure it's good. It's going to be awesome. I have mm-hmm. full confidence. Yep. Our next item is from winteriscoming.net. Composer John Williams is leaving Star Wars Episode Nine. Should Ramin Javadi fill his shoes? By David yes. Harris. <laughs> That's the entire article. Yes. Yep. Yes. <laughs> and now for Raven's Calls. <laughs> no. Uh, if you've watched any Star Wars film ever, from A New Hope in 1977 to The Last Jedi in 2017, then you have heard legendary composer John Williams score. The man has five Academy Awards, seven BAFTAs, three Emmys, four Golden Globes, and a whopping 24, that's right, Grammys. Wow. Williams won those prestigious awards for his work on films like Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., and Schindler's List. And he, yeah, he's just like, without a doubt, the most prolific and uh, famous movie composer of all time. Um, he needs a Tony, and he'll be egotty. <laughs> he, uh, he has a great, par- he has a good paraphrase of a quote where uh, good artists steal, or good artists borrow, great artists steal. <laughs> um so this year he's been a nomin- he's been nominated for an Academy Award for his score of the Last Jedi. He's a living legend. Sadly, it looks like Williams is leaving Star Wars behind after he finishes his score for Episode Nine, which is out next year. We know J.J. Abrams is preparing one now that I will that I will hopefully do for him next year. Williams told Classic KUSC, "I look forward to it. It will round out a series of nine that will be quite enough for me." Wow. Yeah. Did I don't think he did the music for um Rogue One though. No, just the episodes. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Um the sound that sound you heard was millions of Star Wars fans suddenly cr- suddenly crying out in terror. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <so. laughs> you know what that's referencing, right? The destruction of Alderaan. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, a, a silence in the forces. Millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror. <laughs> <laughs> but realistically, Williams is 86 years old. Oh. <laughs> old. It says Ulf in the article. At some point, a successor must be named to fill his shoes. In 2016, Rogue One, a Star Wars story, became the first Star Wars film Williams didn't score. That task fell to Michael Giacchino. Spider-Man, Homecoming, War for the Planet of the Apes, Coco. And although Williams will have a hand in the score for Solo, a Star Wars story, the main composer will be John Powell, who's from Ice Age, Rio, and How to Train Your Dragon. So uh, just funny story real quick. We were talking about Star Wars movies in the car uh, a couple days ago <laughs> with my kids. Nice. And, uh, and Dave was like, yeah, and uh, Solo's coming out this weekend. And my daughter, who is just so a slow. Star Wars fanatic she goes uh daddy it's solo a star wars story (laughs) we're like oh so sorry (laughs) classic um what was the full title for rogue one i just said it a star Star wars Wars story Story. they're both a star wars story huh yeah 
That's classic. So when Williams leaves the conductor's podium after episode nine, who will pick up his baton and take his place? I humbly submit Game of Thrones composer Ramin Javadi. I second. I second as well. And, I, and if that fails, I submit uh, my friend Steve Goldshine, who is my roommate at Berkeley College of Music. So look him up and hire him. <laughs> the main but Ramin Jawadi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the main theme for Game of Thrones is now iconic, as there are many, as are many of his other compositions for the show, including Goodbye Brother, Light of the Seven, and many more. And you guys remember, Light of the Seven is that epic music from Beautiful the, uh, the season six finale, The Winds of Winter. That was the yeah that made the episode. It was just an amazing, yes. amazing piece of music. I listened to it before we started recording. Oh, really? Get you mm-hmm. in the mood? Nice. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Uh, really good uh, song. Javadi has several Emmy nominations for his work on Thrones, of course, but also for shows like Westworld and Prison Break, both of which I've heard good things about. On Prison Break is screen, awesome. Right. That's what I've heard. On the big screen, his resume includes hits like Iron Man, Clash of the Titans, and Pacific Rim. I love all three of those movies. Uh, really good. By every metric, Ramin Javadi is more than capable of tackling the Star Wars franchise, one of the most popular film franchises on Earth. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. Totally on board. Me too. There's another reason why Javadi would fit right in at Lucasfilm. David Benioff and Dan Weiss. After that, I said Weiss. Well, David Benioff and Dan Weiss. Right? Weiss. <laughs> yeah. Daniel Weiss. <laughs> After they're done making Game of Thrones, the pair will be writing and directing a new series of Star Wars films. Benioff, hey. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure this will happen. Um, Benioff and Weiss. To. Yeah, Benioff and Weiss have been working with Javadi since the show began, and they know how good he is. What better way to start their new tenure than start their new tenure in a galaxy far, far away than by employing the composer who's been turning in distinguished work for the past eight years. Ramin Javadi is the man for the job. I submit. Um, I agree. Uh, His his writing on Game of Thrones has been fantastic. The minute melodic changes that he makes um, and his capability to combine different characters' themes and different just themes in general, whether it's something whimsical combined with something militaristic or, you know, you have combined with some like crazy like strings like we had with that scene with Arya as we hear the mystical, wondrous Arya theme playing over a militant Tywin music. It was like he's just so good at at these little tiny things. Most people have no idea about it. It's literally impossible for most people to pick up on this stuff. Mm -hmm. I can't even pick up on it. I only know about this, like the the details, because of um, podcast Winterfell and Matt Murdock's Clef Notes, which I highly recommend listening to. I've recommended it a number of times and if you're new mm-hmm. to the podcast or something definitely check out old episodes of um, podcast Winterfell when he did clef notes and analyzed the music and the subtle differences that Ramin would employ um, based on the environment and the circumstances of any given episode and um, I haven't had time to uh, listen to many other podcasts lately after working on this one so much but um, I, I know that podcast Winterfell now has a new host I believe um, 
and uh, I, I haven't listened to it, but it's this guy, Axel, who was a frequent guest before, and I'm sure it's awesome. So just check out that show in general. I'm sure it's really good still. Um, podcast Winterfell. Dave Hal Berg. Mm-hmm. Uh, greetings, betrothed beauties and browbeaten bookkeepers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As much as I hate Tywin, you have to admire how he outmaneuvered the Tyrells and Littlefinger with his wedding matches. It was great seeing Cersei's smug look disappear when she was told of her own betrothal. I won't mention the bathtub scene because I know it will be covered in detail, (laughs) even though I think it's a top 10 scene. (laughs) Huh? (laughs) I said, you just mentioned it, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) The fire duel between Dondarrion and the Hound was fun to watch again. I remember being so surprised when Thoros brought him back from the dead. In season seven, it seems almost normal. But back when I first saw it, it was a huge deal. Massive. Thanks and keep up the strong work. Well, thanks for your feedback, Dave. It's always awesome to hear from you. (laughs) Even if you lie to us. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Even I'm, if you say, I'm not going to mention this, but I'm going to mention this. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Gemma Hall says, you know nothing, Jon Snow. He knows a little something. <laughs> I know a little about love. <laughs> Baby, I can guess the rest. Matthew Rep says, Tywin playing matchmaker simultaneously strengthens the alliance between the Tyrell and Lannister between Tyrell and Lannister and also removes the possibility of a Stark Tyrell alliance ruining Elena's plan to wed Sansa to Loras. Looks like no one out of the four is happy at the new arrangement. Poor Rob is making one bad decision after another. At least he did a better job swinging the sword than Theon. Knowing what is to come and hearing Rob's plan to try and regain the support of the phrase is just painful. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'd refuse to be under in the care of Kyburn as well. <laughs> Jamie probably thinks he's going to be molested or something. <laughs> I know. Right? <laughs> oh, that's great. Rachel Fox says hashtag cave sex. Cave sex. <laughs> brown chicken, brown cow. Sorry. All right. We have some emails. And the first one is from IV. It looks like uh, AV. AV. I thought it was like a play on Oive. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I I, I just, I feel like it's AV because I think I've heard it before on like Deadcast or something. All right. Oops. AV. Great podcast. Just one thought. Daenerys, John, and Tyrion all have many things in common. Perhaps most interesting, each of their mothers died whilst giving birth to them. Keep the awesome podcast going. Cheers, A. I thought that was an interesting observation. Yes. Yeah. Pretty cool. Oh, she, she has another yeah, one. she continues. Oh, okay. You could take that one. She also has a second email. I think she may have sent it um, a little while ago and I missed it. So now that I've seen it, I would love to read it. Great podcast. I've con- I've listened and continue to listen to every episode. Keep it going. Thank you. Here are some of my thoughts that you may find interesting. One, when John traveled to meet Daenerys for the first time in season seven, Daenerys didn't know Ned um, openly rebelled against King Robert killing her bo- her unborn baby. That is a good point. If she had known that Ned was the only person in King's Landing to stick up for her and her child's right to live. 
Um, that would have been oh, cool. Oh, yeah. And she didn't know that Ned was her brother-in-law, basically, either, right? So That's interesting. I yeah. like that. Yeah, it made imagine how much different like the greeting between the initial meeting between John and Daenerys would have been if Daenerys had known of Ned sticking up for her. Mm-hmm. It'd be crazy. She continues, I was wondering why she still why did she still believe this? One, Varys was on the small council and knew Ned did not want her baby killed, and also knew that Ned even quit as hand of king over this. Good point. That uh, Sir, Sir Patrick would say that this may be evidence that Varys is not playing the straight and arrow. Sir Patrick is wrong. <laughs> straight and arrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, two. Also, didn't Captain of the Kingsguard Barristan know, not know his objections to this too? Ned... Ned's hand resignation was big news, and King Robert was emotional and hardly kept his frustrations just to himself. In fact, in Season 1, Episode 7, just as Ned came out of Robert's room, he spoke to Varys about Robert wanting to kill, cancel the kill order of Daenerys' unborn baby. Barristan was there and could hear everything. That's true. I do remember that. 3. Both Varys and Barristan were advisors and shared a lot of past knowledge with Daenerys. One would think that at least one of them would have shared this bit of info with her. Of course, Daenerys not knowing this fact adds to the story and the drama. <laughs> That's true. It'd be much well, it less does, interesting. But to what end? Like Ned Stark is dead. Yeah, true. So I maybe so just I don't to, understand uh, why it would be important information. Maybe just to maintain some or to create some sort of tension between John and Danny, just because they don't have any reason to connect or trust each other, like they don't have a common thread. Someone who stuck up, stood up for both of them. Um, oh well, maybe that'll be found out later. You never know. That'd be really cool. Yeah, we still have one yeah. more season. Yeah. So. Her next point, Arya's confrontation with two dumb guards at King's Landing in season <laughs> one, and then again in season seven, episode four, where she returns to Winterfell. Both cases, the guards did not believe her. They threatened her, and in both cases, she used similar threats about what might happen to them if they turned her away and Ned slash Sansa found out. Oh, that's true. I remember that, too. They, um, if my father finds out, you wouldn't let me in. They'll be held to pay. I am Stark yeah. of Winterfell. <laughs> <laughs> if Sansa finds out, you turned me away at the gates. Oh, man. I think that's why she was so amused at the gate. She's like, this always happens. Yeah, yeah totally. And then those two guys in Winterfell. Winterfell are like arguing about it and uh, she sneaks she off while they're distracted. <laughs> so yeah, classic. Awesome. Classic Arya. That's great. <laughs> she says, there was another, but I seem to have forgotten it. I'll send it if I remember. Cheers, A.V. Thanks, A.V. Yes, Not sure if you're a you. guy or a girl, so I didn't want to add a lord or a lady, but let us know and I would love to uh, address you with your proper title. All right. The next email is from Lady Rachel of House Fox. Greetings, Lady Kay and Sarah D. Greetings. Seven blessings to you. <laughs> Hope you are both doing well. Here are my thoughts for season three, episode five, Kissed by Fire. First, I wanted to start off with the song Princess Shireen sings, as I feel it has a lot of hidden meanings. So I'll go lyric by lyric. It's always summer under the sea. This could reference that the whites and the white walkers cannot go into water. Therefore, it's always oh, summer under the sea because winter cannot consume any water. 
Yeah, the mm-hmm. influence of the of the long night and the winter cannot breach the wind, water surface. That's an interesting. Well, until the water freezes and then they can walk on the ice. Yeah, true. <laughs> but, the salt water yes. doesn't really freeze for the most but, part. Right. Well, the little patches. Right. Uh, the, but we the, did. I mean, <laughs> the, most of that. Um, most of that. What you call it? Battle um, beyond the wall was fought on ice. Oh yeah, that was yeah, that was on that ice lake, right? That was cool. Mm-hmm. I really liked that video and of how they made, made if that. If I remember correctly, there were whites that were pulling John down in the water. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. I'll have to look at that episode again. Oh darn! I'll have to watch it. Again. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh bummer! Twist my rubber uh, arm. Threaten <laughs> me with a good time. The birds have scales. I feel this is a reference to the dragons. They're essentially ginormous scaled birds. Yes, very true. <laughs> and the fish take wing. This could be a reference to oh, blackfish so cool. fleeing the red wedding. Oh, that's that's so cool too. Yeah, these are really good interpretations. The rain is dry. This is a nod to House Rain, who was wiped out by the Lannisters. Uh-huh. Sorry, I had to swallow. <laughs> and, <okay>. the, <laughs> and the snow falls up. I think it's a nod beyond the wall as in the snow falls up north. Hmm. The stones crack open. This references Danny's dragons. The eggs were thought to be stone, but when they cracked open in the fire, her dragons were born. Very true. Mm-hmm. The water burns. This is a nod to the battle oh. of bl- black water when Tyrion lit the water ablaze with wildfire. See, everything he says means something. Gotta read the books because there's really cool prophecies in there. Hydra. Hell, motherfucking Hydra. The shadows come to dance, my love. The shadows come to play. This could depict the shadow baby Melisandre's birth. The shadow baby comes to play the game by murdering Redly. There's that too. Yep. The shadows come to stay. I feel the last part of this song foreshadows winter arriving and all that goes with it. The long night. It is a dark omen that they come to stay. I can't imagine Game of Thrones will end with everyone happy and safe in season eight. Well, I can. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Is this a foretelling of how the series may end? It's definitely um, eliciting the uh, feel of the long night. The shadows come to stay. That's the long night. The long night is shadows staying, you know? Right, <laughs> That's right. That's fucking Absolutely. wild. It's cool. Well, the song was originally sung by Stannis' fool, Patchface, who doesn't appear on the show, who sung it about his days lost at sea. Patchface's songs are known to be dark and sullen, so while his lyrics may be literal to his experience being lost at sea, I tried to take them and look at them figuratively through the lens of the show. Yes, that is, that's exactly what you got to do with his stuff. All right, I'll take over from here, Lady K. Moving on to some of my favorite parts of the actual episode. Cave sex, fuck yeah. <laughs> it's like America, fuck yeah. Come in here, I'll save the motherfucking day, yeah. Cave sex, fuck yeah. Damn you, grit. I hate your face, Jon Snow is mine. Oh, that's her next, uh, <laughs> her next line there. Cave sex, fuck yeah. Damn you, grit. I hate your face, Jon Snow is mine. <laughs> LOL. In this scene, we get the name of the episode, Kissed by Fire. She's doing the nasty with Jon, who is also, who is also kissed by fire but in a different way, meaning that he is a Targaryen. Ooh, very nice observation. Very good. Um, She also says to Jon, you swore some vows, I want you to break them. Sorry. You swore some vows, 
I want you to break them. <laughs> Being that John is also a true Stark, breaking his vows is something that is definitely out of character for him. <laughs> Speaking of vows and breaking them, I feel like this is a theme that appears through the entire episode. Jamie's bath scene with Brienne is a great example of this. He expose, expresses to Brienne all the vows and oaths he took and how they can become convoluted and conflicting. He had to make a choice to break his oath or vow as a member of the Kingsguard in order to save King's Landing. Jamie had to act quickly. Or Jamie had to quickly act on which vow he was to break. He ended up being heroic in that moment, and due to his pride, he's never tried to defend himself when people call him Kingslayer, and due to his oath to keep the king's secrets. So he is keeping as many oaths as possible. He, uh, he only breaks his oaths when he determines that it is absolutely must be done. There is no option otherwise. Um, so he breaks his oath to protect the king because the king is going to kill far more people. He weighs the pros and cons and does that. He um, he ends up uh, he not defending himself when people call him Kingslayer because there's his honor isn't an, enough of a reason for him to break his oath to keep the king's secrets. So it's his own form of honor that's the the reason why his honor is looked upon as being so awful. Ironically, which is a great uh, thing to pick up on here. Good job, Lady Rachel. Yes, good job. Yeah. So uh, he says, by what right does the wolf judge the lion? And he, he knows nothing he would say to defend himself will change people's minds. It's sad. And that's another reason why he uh, yeah, didn't speak up for himself. Another example of breaking a vow is the scene with Rob and Lord Karstark. I think Lord Karstark lost a lot of respect for Rob when he married Talissa. Yes. Yeah, definitely. He felt Rob broke his vow to House Frey, and as we all know what's coming, he saw that this was Rob's downfall. I love this scene with Shireen and Davos in the dungeon. Stannis felt that Davos broke his vow of loyalty to him and named him traitor. Shireen, being stubborn like her father, goes down to visit Davos. She hands him the book, which is titled... And history of Aegon the Conqueror and his conquest of Westeros. The very next scene, we see Danny riding her silver. I love how the writers use the title of the book Shireen gives Davos, then cut over to Danny, whose goal is to conquer Westeros. So clever. Just like you said, Lady Kay. Yes, sir. Awesome. The dialogue between Jorah and Barristan is great. Again, vows and oaths appear in their dialogue to each other. Barristan explains his vow to a lunatic and a drunk and says, and he says, just once in my life, I want to fight for someone who I believe in. Shows he wants his vow, shows he wants to vow his service to someone whose worth is loyalty. What's that? Do I hear wedding bells? One of my favorite scenes this episode is Tywin dropping the wedding bomb on his children. <laughs> Cersei and her smug look at Tyrion is great as you watch it die on her face when Tyrion says, when Tywin says she will marry Loras. Both Tyrion and Cersei now have to take vows to marry in order to keep the Tyrells and the Starks in the Lannisters' pockets. Sansa is the key to the North, as Tywin says. This comment shows me that Tywin already gave the orders to Lord Bolton to execute the, the Red Wedding. He knows Rob is done for. He also said yeah. his, his days are numbered. Um, uh-huh. Poor Arya. It seems to me that this episode is the nail in the coffin for her childhood. She leaves this episode in an extremely dark place. In her mind, injustice always prevails. She can't understand why bad people seem to win and honorable people seem to lose. This goes, and uh, on top of that, um, 
being betrayed by people that are close to you. Like Gendry leaves her in this episode, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. So this goes back to when Tywin asks what killed her father. She answers with loyalty. Poignant. Why take vows and oaths and be loyal when it gets you killed? I find it interesting that when Arya recites her list of names in this episode, she's looking into the flames sitting across from Thoros. This prayer becomes Arya's vow to herself and is what keeps her going. I feel this foreshadows when Lady Melisandre sees Arya and looks into her eyes, and she says that she sees eyes staring back at her. One's Arya will close forever. Could it be that by reciting her list into the flames shows Melisandre who she will kill? Here are some honorable mentions that don't necessarily tie in with my theme of vows, but are, but are just some of my favorite moments on the show. Oh, the Queen of Thorns. Her banter with Tyrion is great. I love figs. Where did you go for them, Valantis? <laughs> I love how Tyrion grabs one of one after I love how Tyrion grabs one after she leaves. It reminded me of when she says to Pycelle, I haven't had a proper shit in weeks. <laughs> just a great scene. When he says to Pycelle, I haven't had a proper shit in weeks. I love Olena's quote. People crave distractions. If we don't provide them, they will create their own. So true. <laughs> Let them eat cake. Sort of similar quote by Mary Antoinette getting to the same uh, thing. Same type of uh, theme. Arya and Gendry. I could be your family. Could this be a foreshadow of their possible marriage in season eight? <laughs> It would be she, it would be so weird for the show to do that. So because she's just still so young, you know, right? Um, although the actress is like plant, like over eighteen at this point. In a previous voice recording, I sent to Raven's calls, which I don't believe made the podcast. Oh, I'm sorry about that. I must have missed it because I don't recall that. Um, I w- definitely would have included it. I've, I don't think I've ever not included a voicemail um, unless there was just like a like a ton of them, you know. But I definitely have never excluded an entire person's voicemail. She says, I described the wheel in the opening credits. I noted that the stag still appears on the wheel, and my prediction is because Gendry will be made a true Baratheon in season eight. Ah, yeah. yeah. we've talked about that at definitely. length. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's probably, could be, could be accurate. I love when Beric says to the Hound, go in peace. Sandor Clegane, the Lord of Light is not done with you yet. This is a foreshadow for season seven during the reunion when the Hound sees the dead marching in the flames. Yes, sir. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. And last but not least, Tormund. I'll pull your guts through your throat. Love him. Fuck yeah. I have a lot in common with Lady Rachel. As usual, even our taste in music is similar. As usual, this is long, and I am sorry for that. (laughs) I've watched the series close to 30 times. Yeah, I know that's crazy, but I would watch it over and over on my laptop while nursing my son when he was a baby to keep me occupied through sleepless nights. (laughs) Those Lysa Aaron scenes must have been weird. Yeah. (laughs) I love how Game of Thrones has Game of Microphones has allowed me to fall in love with the show all over again and watch it through a different lens than any time before. So thank you for that. Feel free to pick and choose from my ramblings above if you feel it's too long to include in the podcast. Fuck it. We read the whole thing. Fuck it. We'll do yeah. it live. Right. Keep being awesome, Lady K and Sir D. I hope, as always, this strikes good conversation during Raven's Calls. Your humble servant, Lady Rachel of House Fox, Queen of Long-Windedness. <laughs> you can fill in the rest of my damn titles later. <laughs> 
Awesome. Yeah, always good good stuff from her, right? I think so. Definitely. All right. And looks like the last email we have is from Lord Gustavo. Hi. Hey. I'm st- hey. <laughs> I'm still listening to your latest episode, and I just got to the part where you guys talk about the reaction videos for season eight. <laughs> I could just say one thing, and that is, hell yeah, man. That'd be funny as fuck. Uh, it'd be funny for you guys. <laughs> Keep up the great work. Just- Gustavo Orozco Lopez. Yeah, thanks, Lord Gustavo. Good to hear from you. And I could tell Lord Gustavo is a cool guy because he signs his name on his emails very similarly to the way I do. Um, with like so Surrounded by hyphens. Like, it looks cool, man. Um, yeah, <laughs> it'd be funny for you guys. I'll just be embarrassed, but I'll, you know, if, if people want to see it, maybe I'll do it. Hi, Duncan and Kristen. It's Anwen here. Just loving the rewatch. This episode is amazing. The last two have been really, really cool. I love everything that's going on. I really noticed a lot of the pairings in this um, episode. Um, Jon Snow and Egret in the cave. Of course, everyone's been waiting for that for a while. Um, I don't ever want to leave this cave, Jon Snow. Not ever. It was just amazing. And I'd forgotten that um, the Jamie and Brienne bath scene was in the same episode as well. So that was really, really cool. And once yeah. again, you're seeing two people who um, are really seeing each other differently now which is fantastic and you've got Arya and Gendry um, she says to him I could be your family and he says but you wouldn't be you'd be my lady and it just sort of shows they've been close while well, they've been on the road but they do come from very different places um, Shirin and Davos I love their scene with the reading that was really cool and, and the start of something pretty cool and special between the two of them which obviously we know now ends in, in heartbreak um, and then Grey Worm and Missandei, it was really great to see Grey Worm the first time and to see them um, together and especially timely after your reading of that essay a couple of weeks ago, which was really fantastic. Um, and I'm going to be enjoying watching the two of them um, now with the hindsight that we have. Um, Sansa and Littlefinger, oh, Littlefinger using his slimy voice to the extreme. Um <laughs> And I'm so torn, you know, she's so naive and trusting and I can't wait for her to wise up, but I also dread reliving all the terrible things that um, make her wise up. So we've got that to look forward to. Um, And the other thing that I loved was at the end, Tywin (laughs) telling his kids off. (laughs) I seriously think she's in this real position of power and all of a sudden he tells her, no, sorry, you've got to do what I say. Um, And it was just like he's telling them off, Cersei, you're grounded. Tyrion, you're not allowed to use the iPad. It was really funny. (laughs) They're just sitting there dealing with it. Anyway, thanks, guys. Um, Have a great day. See ya. He took their electronics. (laughs) (laughs) No screen time for you, children. You need to go get married. Oh my gosh, it's great. so funny. Oh. Um, Thank you, Anwen. I, oh gosh, I, I could listen to her talk all the time. I love her. Yeah, same here. She always has great things to say. Oh, I, I almost forgot. I her was gonna, accent is fantastic. I almost just going to do the entire episode in, in like a broken Kiwi Aussie com- combination accent today, but oh well. Maybe some. I'm glad you did not. What are you talking about? Might would have been amazing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, thanks, Anwen. Always great to hear from you. Always. And uh, after finally having heard the uh, Arya Gendry scene mentioned so many times, I could be your family, but you wouldn't be. You'd be my lady. It made me think. Well, if you were a married couple and you're a lord and lady. Then, uh, if you, they were married, she would be his lady. Yeah. And so uh, you're that could right. be some pretty direct foreshadowing there. 
Right. Well, it was also a direct reference to, you know, class differences. Oh, yeah. That's, um, that was the intended reference, right. you know? But <laughs> yeah. it was said in this meaning. kind of sad way, almost wistful, like, you know, if just, a, I mean, in all he needed world, was like life. a different mom and yeah. his life could have been so different, you know? Yeah. His father was king. Yeah. Imagine that. I don't know. He definitely got the shit under the stick, so he and John can relate, <clears throat> but agree. him to the extreme. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so great to see them hanging out, Baratheon and, and Targaryen or Stark, you know, hanging out like Robert and Ned back in the day, making fun of each other and shit. So cool. Yeah, I'd like to see uh, more Gendry and John and just see yeah. how that goes. I really, yeah. Now that they're like together, we could see like a cool like right hand man type relationship type start to develop. Because I mean, we we mm-hmm. have John with with elder peers like Tormund and um, you know guys like that, but we don't really have. I mean, yeah, we I guess we do. He has Sam. He has Gran or had Gran. Um, he has Ed. Ed still. But he, it'll be good for him to have, you know, he's lost a lot of his contemporaries, Gran and mm-hmm. Pip, guys like that. So we need, he needs uh, Gendry in his bros. life. You know, yeah, he needs his bros. He needs his bro pack. <laughs> his wolf pack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. John, bro. What up, bruh? Nothing much, bruh. You like my hammer, bruh? Yeah, bruh. Check out this hammer, dude. You like my sword? Whoa. <laughs> That's fucking cool. <laughs> Plus, Gendry is, like, trained under Tabho Mott, right? So he's, like, the top um, top steel maker in King's Landing. So he's going to, like, talk with Sam, and he's going to learn how to make Valyrian steel based on, like, Sam's archaic random knowledge from the Citadel from his recent project. And he's going to be like, oh, well, I heard about that, and I know about this, so, oh, yeah, now I can make Valyrian steel. Right. That'd be fucking rad. And then Daenerys will be like, Dracarys, and they'll be like, like, (laughs) making their own, like, dragon fire metal and stuff. That'll be cool. Ugh. Ugh. I sorry. I get so excited. Like you start saying something and then I just like go off into the clouds and I have my own little daydream and then I'm like, oh yeah, I'm recording. I should probably come back. Cool. I've done it a few times where I'm like, shit. That's the best. <laughs> That wraps it up. All right, that's our show, episode Sigurdsson. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Namaste. <laughs> Next episode, we'll be covering season three, episode six, the climb. Woo! <laughs> the climb. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. Really, we would. Yes, we love your feedback. Mucho. <laughs> yeah. So if you'd like to call, you can always reach us at 813-563-3739. That's 813-JOFFREY. And if you'd like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Podcast. Imp slap. Oh. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at G-O-M Podcast. And uh, if you have a chance, we'd really appreciate it if you guys would give us a like on Facebook and check out our page. We're always active on there. And uh, give us an iTunes rating and review. It would really help bump us up in the search results. So we love those reviews. Thank you in advance. Yes. 
And guys, check out my voice acting debut on the show Sirenicide. You can find that on iTunes, every place you download podcasts as well. Serial horror drama with a really cool story um, by our friend Johnny Stitches. Um, so yeah, check that out. My I premiered on mini episode 21, which just came out. Thanks, guys. That's our show. See you guys next Thank week. Thank you for listening. Yeah, yeah. Cersei. The Mountain. The Night King. Euron Greyjoy. Matthew Rep. And see, I knew that that was going to be one of yours, which is why I didn't add it and to mine. I knew <laughs> as well that you would know that it would be one of mine, so I purposely included it in mine. We're like super <laughs> in sync about this. <laughs> um, it's oh, what is your worst fear? Okay, so if we gave you your favorite thing and we covered it in it, how'd you feel about that? Go. <laughs> Horrifying scene um, with with Willem and what's his little face, Lannister, and uh, you know future Who Tommen. Future Tommen. Yeah, that's what I call him. <laughs> and, uh, he goes in and he gets the he gets it done right. But yeah, he does. I mean, <laughs> get her done, boy. <laughs> get her done, buddy. Which is fucking epic. Two different methods of execution combined by Lannisters in multiple occasions in this episode. So that's kind of fun. Yeah. Daisy, Daisy. Tell me the matter, do. It's like creepy shit ever, right? Wow. Yeah, I love I to hate, hate her, her so yeah. much, but I love her. Yeah. Um, so it's just super fucked, and it like this scene like just sets this the stage for all of that. Tywin had a cool line. Uh, <laughs> a lie. A lie. Take, Take it, it out. out. Two peas in a motherfucking pod. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh <laughs> right. So we can all be crazy together. <laughs> yeah. That's the best part. <laughs>